This is Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football podcast, available on most podcast platforms and at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we've got our usual segments, including the lowdown with Luana Williams, taking a look back at the Round 9 AFLW injuries and hopefully when your players will be back out there on the park. Also, we talk fantasy football with Jack Hooper from sheplays.com.au. We crown a champion in the AFLW tipping contest of coach versus coach. Nicole Graves and Lisa coach Kiwi Raper will join us. And as well, our feature guests for this week include Katara Wapfara from the Coolangatta Tweed Bluebirds and Olivia Barton from the Port Melbourne Borough. But first, the latest women's footy news. There's quite a bit of news to get through from an AFLW point of view. First of all, the initial AFLW All-Australian squad, 40 names are announced. They'll be whittled down to the final team when the uh, League W Awards are announced later in the month. But this is the initial 40-woman squad, and we'll go through club by club. From the Adelaide Crows, nominated are Sarah Allen, Anne Achard, Ebony Marinoff and Erin Phillips. From the Brisbane Lions, Kate Luckin, Sophie Conway, Catherine Spark and Dakota Davidson. From Carlton, Brianne Moody. Karen Harrington, Darcy Vessio and Madison Presparkas. From Collingwood, Stacey Livingston, Chloe Malloy, Brittany Benici, Brianna Davey, Jamie Lambert and Ruby Schleiser. From Fremantle, Gemma Houghton, Kiara Bowers and Janelle Cuthbertson. From Geelong, Megan McDonald. From GWS, Elise Parker. From Gold Coast, Lauren Ahearns. Um, from Melbourne, uh, Kate Hoare, Karen Paxman, Tyler Hanks and Lauren Pierce. From North Melbourne, Emma King, Emma Carney, Jasmine Garner and Ashley Riddell. From Richmond, Harriet Cordner, Katie Brennan, Monique Conti and Ali McKenzie. From St Kilda, Georgia Patrikios. From West Coast, Michaelia Bowen. And from the Western Bulldogs, Isabel Huntington and Ali Blackburn. Talking about the W Awards, what looks like the red-hot favourite to take it out is going to be Kiara Bowers. She's added another notch to the belt by being crowned the AFL Coaches Association Champion Player of the Year, just holding off a late charge from uh, GWS Giants player Elise Parker. Turning our attention now to the retiring players from the AFLW. They include so far Sally Riley of the Gold Coast Suns. Of course, Sally was part of a premiership with the Adelaide Crows. Uh, Aster O'Connor from Geelong, originally a uh, Bulldog. She was part of their premiership side in 2018 and was part of the inaugural Cats team from 2019. And Selena Carlson from St Kilda, who uh, played three games for the Western Bulldogs, moved to the Saints, unfortunately couldn't get back out there in the park uh, due to a number of injuries that she was battling and has decided to call time on her career at just the age of 22. Now, we do have some delistings. At this moment, uh, Carlton have released Katie Loint and Al Downey. Both of them are still weighing up their options, whether they'll continue to uh, try and nominate for the AFLW draft or be traded and, and try and continue their AFLW career in 2022. And the St Kilda Football Club have announced that they've released uh, Nadia Van Bertok, um, Ali Brown, Tamara Luke and Selena Carlson. All of them released by by the Saints. Uh, the Collingwood Football Club have announced an extension for two years to the contract of Steve Simons, their coach, after uh, guiding them into the finals for a second successive year. And uh, 
that contract will see him through until the end of uh, the 2023 season. Uh, the AFL has also announced that there will be the inaugural Colgate AFLW Grand Final Sprint, which will take place on the weekend of the 17th and 18th of April, no doubt at halftime during the NAB AFLW Grand Final, to match what the uh, men have been doing for years. Across to the match review officer, some charges have been laid from round nine. Now, Emma King of North Melbourne was charged three times with striking uh, Cara Antonio of Fremantle, but because it all took part in the one game, it was all counted as the one instance, if that makes sense. So she only got the one penalty in a way, a reprimand with an early plea and a $400 sanction for uh, each time she was charged with striking. Uh, Gemma Houghton of Fremantle was charged with Neen Talia Randall of North Melbourne. Uh, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Madison Levi of the Gold Coast Suns was charged with rough conduct, a dangerous tackle against Renee Karras of Geelong. Again, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. And Amy McDonald was charged with rough conduct against Daisy Darcy of the Gold Coast Suns. She can accept a reprimand with an early plea and likewise Darcy Guttridge from St Kilda was charged with front on contact against Lauren Gauchi of the West Coast Eagles and can accept a reprimand with an early plea and finally the NAB AFLW Rising Star nominees for round nine were the Western Bulldogs Eleanor Brown and Brisbane Ruck Talia Hickey and that concludes the 18 nominees of course the NAB Rising Star of the year will be announced during the W Awards and that's your latest women's footy news The Lowdown with Luana Williams The home and away season has ended in the AFLW and we hit to the finals. Can every side get their players up that are on the fringe of are they going to sit it out for the rest of the year or can they make a contribution at the pointy end of the season? A person who can tell you what all these injuries mean and what the rehab process is all about is physiotherapist Luana Williams. Luana, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Pete. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be chatting through some of the injuries of the weekend, but I think more excited is the fact that the AFLW has actually been able to make it to a final series this year. Yes, after uh, last year's weird season due to the COVID pandemic, where obviously we're supposed to have eight rounds. It ended after six, then we jumped into this uh, made-up-on-the-spot final system in the space of a couple of days, got week one away, and then everything ended. Uh, we're about to hit week one of these finals. So cross fingers, we find ourselves into week two. Let's not jinx anything. And there's one player that definitely wants to make sure that Melbourne's finals get to week two. Can she make it back? The knee injury everyone is talking about. We've had knee injuries all through the year, ACLs, MCLs, etc. But this seems to be the one with the biggest news around it. Melbourne's Daisy Pierce. Yes, the great Daisy Pierce um, hurt her knee on Saturday's game. I think we saw her all into the game walking around in a leg brace. So she was originally diagnosed with having knee soreness and following some scans on Sunday, it was confirmed as an MCL injury. So I think I spoke about MCL injuries a couple of weeks ago, but just a bit of a recap. MCL stands for medial collateral ligaments. And we all have two collateral ligaments in each knee, a medial one and a lateral one, medial being ligaments in the middle, lateral meaning ligaments on the outside. So these ligaments respectively sit on the inside of the outside of the knee. In terms of the anatomy of, of the MCL, it starts above the knee, so it touches just above the knee, above the joint line, and then it finishes below the joint line. And it's one of a group of ligaments, including the ACL, which are there to support and stabilize the knee. So 
it can become damaged really in any movement that is going to open the knee joint. So that could be both laterally, so I guess a sideways sort of knock or movement, but it can also occur when your knee gets twisted. So going back to Daisy, the club has said that she is unlikely to play in their game this weekend, but they are hopeful that, one, they will win the game on Saturday and that, two, she will be available to play in week two of the finals. So what needs to happen, I guess, from what we had last Saturday when uh, Daisy did the injury to we're talking about a two-week time frame as a case of trying to support the knee, less pressure on the knee, etc. particularly with, with your work, for example, as a physio, what are you trying to do to support, to give that knee the best possible chance that it can make that two-week time frame? I guess on the actual game day, there would probably be a bit of taping to be able to support the knee, so there'll be a bit of external support um, regarding that. The other thing I think to be looking at would be how much pain is there going to be when uh, with running? And that's going to be quite important because when we have pain, sometimes our movements can be inhibited and we have struggled, we struggle to do things like running or jumping and as well, particularly in AFL, a bit of sidestepping. So you don't want to have any pain while that's happening as well because you're just not going to be able to move as well as you normally would be. And then on top of that, it would be also just making sure that anything that there isn't any potentially any further damage that might happen to that knee. So I think it's something that I harp on a little bit. You want to make sure that the um, whatever the injured part of your body is, you want to make sure that it is okay to start playing but you also want to make sure that you're not going to do any further damage to it so i think one of the things they're probably looking at over the next two weeks is really how much can um how much is the pain going to decrease and then when that pain starts to decrease uh how much how limited is there going to be in movement i would say Another player that's racing the clock is Erica Fowler of Collingwood. Uh, she did a so- shoulder injury. Um, can she make it back for this week at Victoria Park against North Melbourne? Yes, a posterior subluxation for Erica. So um, just a little bit about what that injury is. I've spoken about dislocations a couple of times. and may also have mentioned subluxation. But essentially, a dislocation is when the shoulder completely comes out of its joint socket. And it requires some help to be able to get back in again. And in a subluxation, there is movement out of the, the, the shoulder does move out of the joint, but it, it is able to come back in within the joint sort of on its own. So Erica was actually able to keep playing over the weekend. So I imagine what probably happened is that her shoulder was taped up, which enabled that to happen. In, and even though a subluxation isn't quite as serious as a dislocation and she was able to keep playing over the weekend, there is still going to be potentially some damage to ligaments, muscles, sort of other structures around that joint. So she will be undergoing a fitness test closer to game day to determine if that shoulder is going to be okay. So the club hasn't made an announcement of whether they'll be playing, but I would say that it will be fingers crossed that she does get across the line. Another player taking part, well, their club anyway, taking part in that game is uh, Talia Randall. Um, is she a chance to possibly play in the game against Collingwood on the weekend? Um, how bad is this ankle injury we're talking about? In terms of how bad the ankle injury is, I'm not entirely sure. She landed quite awkwardly in the game in the game that she played. And that really was a classic lateral ankle injury. So anybody who managed to see the injury would have seen that she's going to land on the side of her foot. That went underneath her and um, 
sort of rolled underneath her body. So she was in a really, she was in quite a lot of pain when it happened. Uh, as with um, most injuries, I would say all injuries that happen, um, using the wheat just to see how much um, the injury settles down, how much pain, and then how well is that joint going to be able to be supported that's going to enable her to play. So um, probably if, if she does come back, I think that ankle will almost definitely be taped to make sure that it's, it's going to be okay. But again, if there is too much pain or there isn't enough support, then the ability to run, jump and do all the things that you need in footy are going to be going to be too difficult. So I guess that'll be up to the club to decide this week as they do their testing. And also we have Paris Laurie from the West Coast Eagles. Of course, their season has ended. She did an ankle injury. From what I understand, she did the ankle during the warm-up. Um, and because it was already too late, they're essentially, in theory, gone through the banner and out in the field doing the warm-up. It was too late for an emergency to come in. She had to take part in the game and she tried to get through it with, with, with a fair bit of pain. Um, for her, what do we do now with an ankle injury? Because she is different to Talia Randall, even if they had the exact same injury, as in Talia is trying to get up, she's trying to race the clock, she wants to play finals football. For Paris now, in theory, excluding any state league football, if you're talking purely AFLW, the clock starts now, what, 10 months to the next season starts? Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that had something to do with her playing as well. If West Coast were going to be making the finals next week, was there more a case of um, maybe letting her sit out or having less minute times or less minutes to prepare her for next weekend? Yeah, it'll be a rehab process as you would do um, with a, an ankle injury. Far less pressure in getting ready to play again because she does have quite a lot of time before the season starts. There would be a pre-season as well, but that can also I think uh, provide a great opportunity to allow any, um, for all players, any niggles or injuries that might have happened in this season. It provides them with an opportunity to start training and get some match play fitness before they have to come out again and play for next season. Well, Luana, thank you very much for joining us to take a look back at round nine of the AFLW. Uh, for now, we take a little bit of a break on the lowdown with Luana Williams. Um, it won't be popping up every week like we have throughout the season. But I believe you have in store over the coming months ahead, uh, hopefully a, a variety of different guests and subjects that you'll be talking about. Yeah, I'm hoping to perhaps maybe expand the podcast out a little bit to make it more of a sports medicine type show. So talking about some of the things that we see in sports and diving deeper into what certain injuries mean and all sorts of aspects of um, AFL and AFLW that might be of interest. Walawana, once again, thanks for joining us and congratulations on all the work that you've done with the lowdown with Luana Williams throughout the 2021 AFLW home and away season. Thanks, Pete, and good luck to all the teams that have made the finals. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. So the home and away season has ended and that kind of comes to the conclusion for the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League. But you notice the word that I said, kind of. We'll explain that in just a moment's time. We've got on the line from Supercoachdog and sheplays.com.au, Jack Hooper. Jack, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. Now, let's explain straight up. Of course, everyone's thinking standard rules when it comes to fantasy football, the end of the home and away season. That is it. In a way, it is, but it isn't. Can you explain what's happening going forward? 
Well, what we're doing is we're having another separate competition for the AFLW final series. So if you've already got a team in the She Plays AFLW competition, all you have to do is go and join the league code league with the code finals or lowercase. If you've not got a team yet, then it's a great opportunity to sign up. Um, just go ahead, sign up, and then again, join the league code finals, and you'll be in. So if you just want a quick three-week sprint, put in the word finals. Now, I'm thinking because there's less teams obviously playing in the finals. Four, four teams week one, four teams week two, and naturally just two teams in uh, week three. I'm guessing some of the rules are being bent and changed around a bit because of it. They are, they are. So you get unlimited trades each round, and there's also no limit on the number of players from each team that you can have. So there you are. Get cracking. If you want to have a little bit of fun, put in the code word FINALS for the AFLW uh, Fantasy League at sheplays.com.au. But we have got a season to talk about. Before we get to, obviously, the eventual winner, what team that they used, a bit of strategy, etc. Let, let's go through what was round nine. I know it was murder, particularly for the players that were leading the uh, competition. All of them seemed to get slaughtered in that last round. I forgot to do a few changes as well, and I think I ended up on something like 1,500 in the end. But first of all, we, we begin with a, a couple of surprises when it came to the most points uh, for players in round nine. I start, first of all, with the North Melbourne um, Tasmanian Kangaroos. Most players are obviously looking towards Jasmine Garner, but it was one of her teammates that actually got the most fantasy points for this round. She did. She did. She got 232 fantasy points, 102 of which came from winning contested ball and another 90 from ball movements. Um, Only the six points on the scoreboard, but still another 40 for pressure and defense. But when you're getting 192 from two sources, who cares if there's anything else left, right? So well done to anyone who earns her. Ashley Riddell, that player being Ash Riddell. And another surprise as well, the second amount of points, over 200 for a designated defender when it comes to the game. Uh, Catherine Spark from the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, another 223 points for Cathy Spark, which is a lot more, a lot more than usual. Indeed, uh, in the past, let's have a look. She'd been uh, the high score that she got had been one fifty six back in round two, but the last few weeks eighty eight, ninety six, seventy six, seventy one. There was a bit of a downward trend, and then just uh, out of nowhere, uh, pulling in the big points this week. Yeah, well, look, one hundred and sixteen of those came from pressure and defence. So that's your typical defender stuff: your spoils, your smothers, as well as things like tackles. So obviously, it was a good day for, to be doing that on the weekend, and she's reached the rewards. Uh, Jasmine Garner pulled in 192. How about Elise Parker? Because um, it was interesting to note um, when it came to the AFLW Coaches Award, which was handed out and, and awarded to Kiara Bowers, that if Kiara Bowers um, didn't win that um, uh, tribunal challenge on her one-week suspension and was ruled out of winning the Coaches Award, it actually would have gone to Elise Parker from the GWS Giants, who placed second. So how did she fare in the way of fantasy points, Elise Parker? Well, for the season, she was the third-ranked player with a 187 average. Um, and on the weekend, she was pretty much right on average with 186. 
So there you are, a big surprise for those that uh, have got Elise Parker there, 186, um, some nice juicy points at the end, most that would have stuck with her, probably the lowest score they would have seen actually from her all season is 102, so that's not bad going. Um, when I said big surprise, the big surprise I meant to say was Kate Shearlaw from St Kilda, um, of course as we know, tall forward, um, unless she kicks a bag full of goals in, in the way of point structure, she's, she's probably not expected to, to bring in a, a big amount of points. Um, Dave Thanks to the Saints thumping win over the West Coast Eagles, um, ring the cash register. Yeah, 179 points for Kate Shearlaw. Um, and, yeah, she's got some of that from hitting the scoreboard herself, but there's also quite a lot from ball movement and contested balls. And perhaps she's getting up the ground and taking marks and then sending it back inside 50. That's always a great way to get points as well as... Uh, well, I guess that's a, way, that's a way to score points that a lot of people don't probably think of immediately, but it's one that can really rack up the points because the inside 50s are worth three points. And then if there's a mark, that's two points or even potentially a lot more if it's contested. Uh, Then there's the meters gained aspect, and especially if that's effective ball use, and so it would wind up your disposal efficiency too. And so it can be tricky to work out exactly how much any particular thing will get because it often triggers a combination of stats. But... Um, that's, that's a role that a lot of forwards can play where they push up the ground and then, then if, they, if they're pushing up the ground and being a kind of link player and then spinning the ball back inside 50, that's often a way that they can score a lot of points every week. Let's have a look at the end-of-year results. Now, before we go to the player that scored the most amount of points and you would have been glad to have that player in your team, I want to go to the thing we've been talking about a lot, which is uh, value per point, you know, getting getting value for your money. Um, we're going to sort it into um, order, uh, making it that the player must have played each game this year. So not one of those that have got a bunch of do not plays or anything like that in there, which might affect their, their average. Um, I, I'm looking there, if I'm correct, I'm thinking I'm looking at virtually a statistical tie. Um, between a player from Fremantle and a player from the Brisbane Lions for the most valuable player when it comes to dollars per point in the fantasy game? Yeah, look, Tia Haynes at uh, $159 per point and Courtney Hodder from the Brisbane Lions at 160 And then not far behind is Ruby Schleiser from Collingwood at $163 per point. So all pretty close there. So if you held on to those players, particularly um, Courtney Hodder, the question is how many would have had her in the team because when it comes to midfielders, not too many are probably looking for a $15,000 midfielder. They're, they're probably in their midst looking to, to, to load up with the more expensive players. Defenders are kind of that position where you may be taking a gamble at that $15,000 player as you try and fill out your side. So for those that I guess that have had Haynes and Slicer um, mm. and, and held with them all year, they've done very well. They have indeed. Slicer, of course, was averaging 123 points for her 20 grand, so some uh, excellent value there. After that, Elizabeth Keeney from the Gold Coast Suns uh, worth $190 at 79 uh, points on average. So l- let's talk Turkey. Let's get down to it and talk about the player that was, uh, well, I guess, rated the highest when it came to AFLW fantasy points on average throughout the year, and it might just give us an indication of who might win the league best and fairest. Drum roll. Jack, give it to us, the player with the highest average for the season. That's Kiara Bowers with 193, just pitting Jasmine Garner on 192. 
Hmm. Many people had these two players uh, uh, up thereabouts last year when it came to that shortened 2020 AFLW season. Uh, <laughs> looks like we could be in a tight race if the umpires agree with the fantasy points. Um, and for anyone that had them as their uh, f- players in their side, they were both worth 60 grand. So it was nigh on impossible to, to separate them. Yeah, yeah. So... Tough to afford both, but anyone who's managed to squeeze both in has done very well. The only time, I, I guess you could say, you've been burnt by either player. I mean, for Carabao's, her lowest score was 129 back in round eight and then kind of had a flat round nine at 138. But I, I say it's flat, but that's in comparison to her other rounds. If anyone had Jasmine Garner, though, in round eight, they would have felt the pinch 49 points. Exactly, and that, that's why I always, always make Kiara Bauer's captain because not only her, is her ceiling really high and her average really high, but her floor is really high too. So the lowest you're going to get for her from her is still going to be pretty good. What's intriguing is the third-place finisher, Elise Parker. Not too far off when it comes to averages, and for $10,000 less... Um, she gives you better value for dollars per point. And when you're shopping for midfielders, you are shopping, aren't you, typically in that 50 to 60 grand range? Yeah, yeah. Unless you want to take a punt on maybe a top-end draftee, um, like if you think there's a Maddie Prestakis type coming through, then by all means, pick her up. But usually you are looking for those absolute top-end midfielders because they score score most of the points in the game. Now, forwards get a lot as as well these days, but still most... The top end is still mostly dominated by midfielders. So that's where you want to be spending a lot of your money. Is it fair to say that anyone that had Aaron Phillips at the start of the year, who, who we talked about um, heading into round one, we go, really? Aaron Phillips, only $40,000 out of the top end players. She feels like the bargain by the year. Yeah, yeah, especially if you had her in round one when she got 282. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Uh, what a way to start. And her lowest score was this round at 75, which, uh, again, okay, it's low when it's, uh, in the terms of midfielders, but for your season average of 159, you've been well served by her. Ebony Marinoff, by the way, 158. Ali Blackburn, 153. Emma Carney, 151. For those that are thinking about putting a little bet when it comes to the AFLW League best and fairest. So can you tell us... Who was the player in the sheplays.com.au uh, game that ended up having the uh, best total score for their fantasy team? I know when I looked down the ladder, I placed about, um, this is bad when I have to scroll down now, 19th. I was, I was hanging around, I think, as high as 8th. And then, of course, because I think I only made two changes all year, I uh, kind of bore the penalty in the end. Um, who ended up finishing out on top as our most successful player? That would be the coach of the team, Stephen, 24-7. And what was the final score that uh, he ended up with? Okay, so in total, 19,177 points. And the next best was 18,867. So that's a gap of probably a few hundred. 500 in the end. Uh, that That's probably... Sorry, sorry, a few, a few hundred, not not 500, a few hundred. Uh, yeah, pardon me, that's right. My math is not good. Uh, yes, that's right. About uh, 300 in the end. You can tell I went to school in Broadmeadows. Um, <laughs> 300 in the end, which um, it, it got uncomfortably close, but, um, but he had enough of a gap that he built up during the season to be able to hang on to that. Look, 
I, I want to know your thoughts on his teams. Now, we managed to be given access to what Stephen 24-7's team was in round one and how it finished in round nine. And, and we'll go through the squad. I'll start from the back line through to the forwards. Um, he's got both Sparks in there from the Lions, Chelsea Randall, Jess Duffin, and Sarah Allen. Uh, through the midfield, Kiara Bowers, uh, pardon me, Kiara Bowers, Ashley Riddell, Jasmine Garner, Lauren Pierce, Erin Phillips, Karen Paxman. His forwards, Tyler Hanks, Darcy Vessi, Sarah Perkins, Teagan Cunningham, and Madeline Boyd. His bench, Tia Haynes, Tani Brown, Mimi Hill, Brooke Brown, and Jackie Voigt. What do you think of that? Well, I guess knowing all we knew at round one, I'd say that's a very good team going in. Um, obviously, there are a few things that would have uh, caught him up, like Jeff Duffin, um, <clears throat> although he had Tia Haynes on the bench, so he wouldn't have suffered too badly for that. Uh, I don't think Ruby Spark ended up scoring massively in the end. So I think she would have been moved on. Um, and I'd be, I'd be curious, because I know I've picked ahead to his finishing team, and I've noticed he's started with Darcy Vessio and it finished with Darcy Vessio, which I did too, but I'm just wondering if, if like me, he got rid of her after the slow start for the first few runs and then brought her back, or whether he stuck with her the whole way through. So I'd be curious to see that. Yeah, that's an intriguing option, and probably what might have caught him out on Jess Duffin, as, as caught out a, a number of players, like it did with me with Jess Wuchner, was, of course, the AFL changed the procedure when it comes to naming teams. Traditionally, it always been Thursday night, and, for example, a team playing on Sunday would name an extended bench on a Thursday night and then whittle it down 20, uh, 48 hours beforehand of who would be the official starting squad. Um, so a few of us got caught out. So he got caught out, no doubt, on, on Jess Duffin. Uh, as the season would wear on as well. You'd have injuries to contend with, such as Sarah Perkins would then uh, be injured and, and mm. having to sit out. Um, Maddie Boyd's been playing down in the VFLW like she was last week. What would have been intriguing, because he wasn't the top scorer out of uh, round one. He was actually third place, but set up very well. Again, the Duffin thing probably hurt him. I would have been intrigued to find out, did he name Bowers or Phillips as his captain? Because if he, if he named Phillips as the captain at 282, what a way to, to rock it to your start. That's one hell of a start, yeah. <laughs> Let's have a look at how he ended up with the squad in round nine. Now, according to what you've seen, um, he's made just the minimum trades each week. He's made two trades each week. Well, sorry, maximum three trades, not minimum. You can make as, you oh, can make as few as you'd like. So, so let's let's have a look through the um, uh, side as we go through round nine. Uh, he had Randall in the back line with Nicholas Stevens, Aileen Gilroy, Sarah Allen, and Ruby Slicer. There's your value play. You would have been loving that. Uh, Kiara Bowers, who probably didn't give him enough points uh, that he would have liked in this round, but Elise Parker did well for him. So did Jasmine Garner. Interesting to see who he would have put the captaincy on. Lauren Pierce, Aaron Phillips, and Brianna Davies. So a couple of the midfielders probably uh, were shortchanging him there in that round. Uh, in the forwards, he had Huntington, Too Good, Hanks, Stevie Lee Thompson, and Vessio. He went with a bench of Voigt, Madison Levi, Mimi Hill, Brooke Brown, and Courtney Hodder. Now, we know, for example, Mimi Hill out with a knee injury. Brooke Brown um, uh, was out suspended after uh, uh, copying a week suspension from the VFLW the, proun- the round prior. So, clearly on his interchange bench, he's just kind of loaded up the cheapest players possible to try and get the maximum value that he could out on the ground for that final round. Looks like it. Looks like it, yeah. Um, 
I'd be curious to see how I would be curious to see how this team evolved throughout the season because as I look across it, there's a lot here that looks pretty similar to how my own team ended up, but he's a lot further ahead. He's oh, sorry, he's quite far ahead of me. So I suspect maybe he's got a lot of these players in before some other people have, and that's what's got kept in the head of the pack. Um, yeah, Nicholas Stevens is a good pickup back up the back. I ended up, I think I only got her in possibly in round nine, but she, if you look in the stats for the defenders, is up there with the top ranked ones. But she's kind of slipped under the radar, I think. But because um, I, I hadn't even noticed. But um, yeah, he's got her in, and that's set him up well. Then there's a lot of a lot of value in the back line. Um, and he's he's picked that up well. Then look as again as you say, very strong through the midfield, um, and good mix, good sort of mixture of a good mix of players up front who are in the forward line who are probably we're all sort of underpriced relative to what they're performing at. So good value there as well. Ironically, for his final round side, as as I look through, he's ranked somewhere around about fortieth for the round, which is not bad to still have that buffer to be able to take it out in the end. He's 1,837, was 202 behind the top round nine scorer being round one value, <laughs> ironically. Um, so, so so he didn't have a good one to finish off the season, but it already banked it up in the middle rounds to uh, be able to ride out whatever challenge was being thrown at him because, again, Olympic 69 only closed the gap about 100 points. Break for the border, who was third, closed the gap 100. Twenty, um, Dianas, who uh, finished fourth, managed to close the gap about 170. But as we said at the top of the uh, program, uh, the gap was just too big uh, for anyone else to be able to try and uh, reel in. Stephen, 24-7 is the champion. As you said, you've got finals action coming up. Uh, just go to sheplays.com.au, uh, click on the AFLW Fantasy League Look for leagues, look for finals, put in finals in that search, and you'll be able to enter for the short three-week period. Um, congratulations again, Jack, and what has been a sensational season, the second one done by ShePlays.com.au. Can you give a little bit of shout-out as well to all the people that have been working in the background and the hours that they've been putting together so everyone can play this free game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, shout-out to Ben. Uh, and Rory at the back end. Uh, we've had a smaller crew this year, but uh, last year we had Emma and Luke and Nicole. Um, so it's, it's been a smaller crew this year, but last year was when a lot of the work was put in. So I think they all deserve a good shout-out as well. Jack, thanks again for taking 10 to 20 minutes out of your day each week to join us on the sheplays.com.au fantasy football podcast, the first ever season of us doing this, the second season of you running the league. Um, it's been well-received, and hopefully we get to chat to you again uh, next year, and hopefully both of us get to perform a little bit better out there in the fantasy league. Let's hope so. It's been great fun being here this year, so thanks for having me. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach versus Coach. We have come to the end of the home and away season. It is time to crown a champion when it comes to coach versus coach. And we've got on the line two legends of women's footy, Nicole Graves and Lisa, coach Kiwi Roper. How are you both? Yeah, I'm sailing fine. Thanks. Yeah, I've got the same crickets I had a few weeks ago. Great. Still thinking, Gravesy. 
Well, it, it, that passion for the game. It, it, it's good to be back. And a big thank you as well to Fiona Lamb from the Coat Hanger Footy Show for stepping in last week and uh, and uh, sitting in my chair and taking over the host's role, even though there's not really a, technically a host on this show. My name isn't in the credits. It is all about <laughs> Nicole Graves and Coach Kiwi. So let's get to it straight away and have a look at what happened did, in that final round. Gave us some good instructions, though. You know, it said um, always let me go first and, you know, a few of those things. It was great. Well, that was just to try and bring Gravesy into the game and give her a chance. And, and nice to see you two played nicely. You you tipped differently in all games. But the results, let's go through them. Uh, Gravesy, you went for the Bulldogs by four points. Coach Kerry went for the Tigers by 12 points. First game to start the round. Gravesy got the nod. The Western Bulldogs 7-3-45, defeating Richmond 5-2-32. Um, in the end, strangely enough, a close win, uh, Gracie, for the Bulldogs. And the Bulldogs season feels a bit weird. If, if you said at the start of the year uh, something like a 5-4 and four record, based on the previous year, you would have taken that. But where they were at the halfway mark of the season, you'd almost rate that as a disappointment. Yeah, it's funny. I, I wonder um, you know, whether they did feel that it was a disappointment or not. They they certainly should have put Tigers away, I felt, you know, inside that inside that game and you know they were you know they were plus eight in the inside 50s you know they were winning inside 50s you know they were inside 50 mark plus seven but then you had sort of um so yeah so they were they were okay you know lamb 23 lachlan 23 you know mcleod was excellent around the goals you know blackburn and brown 20 apiece, they just had more contributors, I guess, than, than Richmond, but they couldn't necessarily put them away. You know, they did have six separate goal kickers, which probably made a difference in comparison to, you know, Richmond with, you know, KB kicking her three goals. Although she worked hard around the goals. They weren't those lace-out marks that she's probably renowned for. Um, you know, she worked hard around the ground. A couple of them were off the, you know, were off the off the deck, which was good to see her working around, you know, around her feet. And Stalin and Wakefield chipped in with sort of one each. So, you know, but, you know, none of the tigers were over 15 disposals. So you can sort of say, okay, you know, we, we look at their year. Yes, it was a much more positive year with their, you know, with three wins. I, I probably have, you know, questions and I don't get me wrong, I love Sab. She's good Western Australian girl as we tick tick that. But, you know, seven disposals, how much influence did she really have for the Tigers this year? Some, you know, some people have probably questioned that. Um, and, you know, I suppose if we're in the men's and we're talking massive salary caps, could be an interesting little one there. So, yeah, a lot of those games, we sort of recap their seasons on, you know, who did well. I said KB was up and about. I thought Wakefield was excellent. Star was another good find. Ali McKenzie was quiet, but, you know, that hanger, that just, that was awesome. So at the end of the day, the little fellas are doing well. And I think that, in, you know, that influence of a few more senior players they picked up with um, Sears, Hosking and stuff, you know, really sort of set them, you know, that middle of the road sort of team, you know, come 2022. Bulldogs, I don't know, Pete. I don't know where Bulldogs are going. Yep, they have good kids and, and you know, so they'll, they'll build on that. But they, again, they had more contributors this game but just weren't as effective as they probably needed to be. So if we look to 2022, both these teams still look, you know, kind of middle of the row. One getting up to middle of the row sort of teams and Bulldogs, I'm not really sure. 
I'm not really sure where they'll be in 2022. But, yeah, I maybe feel that they might have been a bit disappointed. I think they would have liked to put the Tigers away more in that game. Coach Kiwi for the Richmond Tigers. <laughs> um, we look at their season. It's an improvement, I guess, on where a lot of people would have put them. Um, they're in an interesting spot now, particularly when it comes to the draft. They won't be at the front of the pecking order. This is now where they've got to, A, learn how to draft well, and B, be masters at the trade table because they've they got a good number of trades um, to lead into the season, which has boosted them up the ladder. Now the hard part of trying to find what they actually need to improve going forward. Again, frustrating that they got that loss against the Bulldogs, but to be close against them kind of sums up their season and really a positive one. Yeah, it does. And um, I think probably for them, if you look at their list that they um, put together for this year, it was a lot stronger than um, last year's list. But each line has got some real key players in it, as well as some new players to develop into the game a bit more. So I think probably... um, I don't think they'll necessarily be chasing particular types of players. I think what they've really got to do is go and look at what style of football they want to play with some of the some of the talent they've got on their list. Um, and you know, this, this list was put together before they had their head coach. So um, you know, so for him to develop this game style that um, you know makes use of that talent, it's been pretty pretty good to see. Um, and this game against Bulldogs, you know, I think we've spoken a lot about, or at least especially Nathan Burke has spoken a lot about the the age of his team or football age is that they, you know, a lot of them around 18, 19, 20 year olds. So he's hoping in, you know, three, four, five years, they're going to grow into a real solid side. Um, and, you know, as Grazie talked about a couple of weeks ago, they, they're on one or two year contracts, so it's not necessarily going to be that they keep these talented youngsters. So, um, for them to finish with a win is probably a plus in keeping that side uh, closer together. But um, probably still some alarm bounds. Now, I know there was a bit of a wind on Friday night, so um, probably helped Bulldogs, you know, get out of the box and kick their four goals. Um, well, Richmond only had the one against, but for, for Bulldogs to let Richmond come back at them is probably alarming later in the game. Um, you know, they had their opportunity to really seal the deal and, um, you know, probably um, put Richmond away a little bit better than they did. So um, a few things definitely for them to work on. Um, but, you know, for Richmond, you know, Cordner, I thought she had an outstanding season. I think she's just growing um, each week this year and just, you know, become a real solid performer down the back line for them. Um, and I, I mean, Mackenzie, we can talk about that, Mark. Um, and I think the commentator yelled out something like, we've never seen one like this before or something. And I was like, um, hello, Darcy Vissio last week. Um, but, you know, we've seen a few hangers this year. So clearly... He hasn't seen enough AFL W games, but um, but you know, hopefully Richmond will get to hang on to her because she's been just electric for them. Um, and I just love watching Gabby Seymour. You know, I don't know whether she just takes a mark or makes a tackle, or um, she just has that genuine grin on her face that lights up the field, and I'm sure lights up all the players around. That you know, she's someone who just absolutely enjoys football enjoys being on the field um, and, you know, it doesn't matter 
what the scoreboard is. Because um, that, that big smile was when she only took the mark on Stacey Livingston and um, she didn't get the goal afterwards, but the smile was as if she did. It was, um, it was just some sheer joy. But, um, you know, Bulldogs for them, I think it was their old heads were the ones that were their main contributors this season. And, and again, um, on Friday night, so Brooke Lachlan, you know, she just did well. I think she's almost ageless with the speed that she can generate through those little legs. Um, and, you know, good to see um, Nell Morris-Dalton getting back in and having another match. So, um, you know, there's some good things coming through both teams and, um, you know, good youngsters for the future, but it's a matter of, I guess, moulding that and keeping them in. Um, I don't know how much... Well, I think the CBA ends next season, so I don't know um, how they can generate the contracts and keep them on board for the years after, whether they're longer or um, what they do, but, yeah... Certainly, I think Nathan Burke is. He's developing his particular style with them, and um, I think that's what we saw a bit of on, on Friday night. On Saturday at Arden Street Oval, it was a heart attack classic. North Melbourne 4-6-30, defeating Fremantle 4-5-29. Crazy <laughs> went for Frio by 24 points. No good. Coach Kiwi went for the Ruse by six points. I'll start with you, Gravesy. <laughs> the North Melbourne Kangaroos got out of jail how do we rate the loss for Fremantle? Do we go, mm, it was a dead rubber anyway, as long as we get through unscathed as much as possible, we go on to next week? What do we take out of it? Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, I think, again, another game where, you know, the team that probably should have won um, didn't win and, yeah, and sort of, I guess, let themselves down. And I think the Dockers... Um, you know, it could have been actually worse for the Dockers if they didn't have such a strong defence. You know, it was, you know, effective inside 50, 67 to 38%. You know, that's, you know, Dockers are renowned for, you know, they get plenty of the footy. And I suppose what they do is, you know, they send it in, they get plenty of the footy, they rush it in, they work really at a fast pace and, and not necessarily hitting targets like, say, the Melbournes or, you know, um, Collingwood's, although I won't say that this weekend. Um, so yeah, North, basically the, the issue around that was just North dominated the middle. You know, the Ruse had plus 17 in the hit outs. That was 18 to 3 in the centre clearances. You know, uh, the umpires were busy. Freo, they were obviously had purple socks on because it was 22 free kicks to 7 to the Ruse. So you see why someone was arcing up and, you know, there was a bit of, there was a bit of fire in the game, which I very much enjoyed, but, you know, so, uh, yeah, Frio, it made me nervous. I, they've got to tweak some things if they're going to be really effective in this final series. And they certainly allowed North Melbourne to, you know, get their little wings uh, on, coming, getting that sixth place and, and getting themselves into finals and probably having some real belief. And you see Frio sort of dropping where they spent so much time in those, in those top couple of positions and end up dropping down, I think, to even fifth and could have dropped to sixth depending on... You know, pretending so like it was a close game. So, yeah, the Roos were just really busy through the guts. Um, and that was really impressive. You know, young um, uh, Riddell, how good is that little fella? You know, 33 possessions for a little, you know, tiny little inside, sort of outside mid. Jazzy Garner, 25. You know, um, Emma Carney, 24. So their workhorses really, you know, really dominated the game, uh, whereas Frio, no one over 20 possessions. Um, you know, Bowers got 19. 
Um, so, yeah, so it was interesting, wasn't it? You know, and you look at, you know, Rossi Rue taking those marks, but Daisy Bateman is, I guess, the small forward down the other end. She's just a little star and she just rarely misses, even under pressure. So, yeah, so it was sort of, you know, those, those young forwards were really showing where they're at. One's obviously up and about and has all the tricks and the other one just goes about her business, um, which is Daisy Bateman. And she's always, you know, just a stern little fella. I remember interviewing her, um, you know, around draft time at Carlton and she's she's such an intelligent young kid and, you know, just an impressive young person and she plays footy like that and I think she's really relishing that environment at North. So, you know, so she's playing really, really well. It was interesting, um, you know, some of the, you know, the malaise and the things that were going on just shows the passion that are in these finals and there was a, you know, it was a bit in a few of those close games around that. So, yeah, so it was, you know, three charges. It was interesting, the Emma King thing, wasn't it? Three charges, all rolled into one charge, all rolled into a reprimand. So, yeah, Kingy's probably pretty lucky around that. And I, I felt like it was the old days of, you know, the Coastal Titans and the Swan <laughs> Districts. Swans where, uh, you know, where it was like Juddy V, um, you know, Emma King, uh, Kingy and, you know, everyone was arced up and it was like a final in the Western Australian Women's Footy League back in the days. So there was a bit of, you know, there's no love loss there. The only issue was that Hayley Miller's actually on the on the right team now, not the wrong team. So, yeah, so it was, you know, it was interesting. And, you know, Gemma Houghton's sort of, you know, sort of bashing there around of, uh, of um, Talia Randall. So, yeah, there's a pretty... Yeah, there's a bit of emotion in there. It shows how much it means to these players, you know, making finals and or, you know, you know stomping, stomping, stamping their authority in finals. So, yeah, so it was, you know, it was a gruelling sort of game. It was pretty low score for two teams that, have, you know, you know, have the capacity to have really high scores. So it was just a real slog and I guess the scoreline sort of pointed out that with, you know, 29 to 30 is probably not the scoreline we expect, but it may show what the final system may be, may look like, Pete, with those six teams. Really, there's nothing. They've all sort of won and lost against one another. And, yeah, I don't know if there's a real standout um, this season. Uh, so, yeah, so it was an interesting game. Coach Kiwi, the loophole regarding Emma King is that even though it was three strikes, because it all happened in the one game, it is counted as the same incident. Therefore, she can only be, I guess, judged on one, or, or that's how the penalty works out. So, therefore, she only got the reprimand. I think it almost sets a dangerous precedent that, okay, if, if the three strikes count as one, that says if an umpire is going to book you for, for hitting someone, well, you might as well lay in a few more punches if it's only going to count as one. <laughs> well, I, I think that's what she did, isn't it? It is, it is the one incident that just counted the three punches from it. Yeah, why throw one um, punch when you can throw a few more haymakers in there for the same price? <laughs> Well, I, I did not get the same price because I thought she was charged 400 for each punch. Am I not right? Reprimand. Right? It was a reprimand. Yeah, but is that... Yeah, but, but you reprimand with the 400 for each. Yeah, so they still have yeah. to pay the fine, Pete. Well, still, you know, yeah, so pass the hat around the group. Of- <laughs> yeah, well, the AFLW wages, mate, that's, that's, you know, that's the half of their yearly, their annual salary. Exactly. <laughs> oh, look, you know, it was it was an interesting game and it was just a real tussle, wasn't it? But um, I think 
I think what North said is you had those players that um, Grady mentioned, you know, Emma Carney, Jasmine Garner, and um, and even Ashfordell that really stood up in this game. And maybe they did because they knew that they were going to miss Jenna Bruton in the middle because her out of the team is, is quite a gap to fill. So I reckon what they did is they went out hard and they went out early um, to try and stamp some ownership through the midfield. Whereas when they played against the likes of Collingwood and that, I think they were just so pushed out of that area and just didn't feature at all. So, um, you know, it was good to see them use their experience and stand up um, a little bit stronger on the field. But, um, yeah, Frio just, I don't know, they've been a bit out of sorts the last few rounds. And they just sort of get off to this really slow start. And, um, you know, you can't put it down to flying in or out or those kind of things because they've done it a few weeks. So they should be well. Telling me I should be asleep by now. Your curfew alarm? Yeah. <laughs> Old lady time. Go to bed. 4 a.m. Kiwi, I get, have to get up to drive down to COVID Byron. Damn it. COVID Byron. <laughs> uh, just wear a mask. Um, but, yeah, so I just, yeah, I don't know, I'd be alarmed if you were a Fremantle supporter just in the way that they've probably struggled to um, get into games early. And, and then they seemingly come from behind by about that third quarter. Um, but this time round, you know, they struck a stronger opposition who um, closed out the game a little bit better. And, um, you know, whereas probably Carlton opened the door and sort of let them Frio finish that game. So, you know, the other top six sides, I don't think are going to um, keep that door open for them. So Frio have to change up what they do for sure um, on that. But, um, you know, and the passion on the field. That um, melee, you call it a melee, Aussie rules, is, it was pretty interesting because I initially did think, you know, oh, this happened last week, this Roxy Roo again, because I think she's a bit of a cheeky character on the field and fires people up. But um, I was actually a bit surprised to see that it was Emma King. I thought, you know, if you're going to pick one, it'd be you know, Roxy, not Emma, sort of firing up the oppo. But, um, but yeah. It's, um, you know, and speaking of Emma King, I thought she had a ripping battle all day long with Strom. It was just Strom and King, just the two tools, and there were just so many stoppages, but they were just so, you know, well fought um, throughout the game. And um, and then when they swapped to their slightly smaller ones with Saad and um, Rue, it was a little bit of a different battle. But, um, but yeah, it, it was a midfielder's game, I think, um, for sure, that one. And, um, yeah, I think Carney's face at the end, if you got to see any videotape of Carney's face, just the sheer joy and relief of nailing that top six spot. I think, um, you know, there's been a little bit of pressure for an underperforming North over the last couple of years. So um, I think some of that emotion came out too. At Casey Fields on Saturday, Melbourne 6-2-38 just got over the line against the Brisbane Lions. Six straight 36. Melbourne get themselves a home final. But, Gravesy, it's come at a price. Uh, it's a reported of late an MCL injury for Daisy Pearce. Yeah, I think everyone feels for days, you know, having the season off with uh, not necessarily an injury but with twins. Um, you know, and, you know, everyone loves and respects Daisy. I think everyone understands in women's footy the impact that she's had on the game and, 
you know, I guess she flies the flag for us all in terms of, you know, our commentary and, and how, I guess, the footy world and public and media, you know, have really embraced her and her, and her synopsis of the game and her knowledge of the game. So, yeah, so obviously everyone reaches out today. And she has been, you know, such a stalwart for the Melbourne Footy Club, you know, since the exhibition game. So, you know, I think, um, you know, if it's possible, if she can get back, Daisy is the one that will get back. There's no doubt about it. And I think the whole footy public, um, even the oppo, would be, you know, be wanting to her to be out there for the Melbourne Footy Club. I, I guess one positive around, you know, Daisy's injury, that it, she was actually out early. And um, and the D's still found a way, you know, to, to goal. You know, the leadership of Pierce and Paxman, even Lily Mitten, you know, even though a young player, but, you know, has been at, at the D's since... Um, you know, the inaugural season, you know, they all really stood up and, yeah, it might have been for Daisy, but I think it also showed that the Ds aren't one-dimensional and that, you know, whatever happens with Days, that they know that she's with them and Days knows that, you know, they know that and, you know, that they'll move forward in this in this, um, in this this final series either way. So, you know, I'm really pleased um, that they were able to step up and, and not sort of fall to pieces around that and I'm, I'm no doubt that, you know, Daisy's, Courage and what she's shown them in leadership has has allowed them to do that. You know, and in terms of the rest of the game, you know, you know Zach is just killing it, isn't she? You know, she's just really stepped up. A, you know, one of their players that, you know, that's been there a couple of seasons, but you know, she's just had a fantastic year and, and moved around in different spots. We spoke about Lily Myth and you know, twenty three disposals, disposals, and again, just works hard. Um, you know, and Scott the same, three goals, you know, when they needed a senior player to stand up and kick those goals or, you know, be part of those goals. She's just a workhorse and there's no flair about her. She's, she just plays her role and, and they were all great snaps, all those goals, which was, you know, fantastic um, for the D's. You know, Hanksy and her last goal was, yeah, it was awesome. You know, and, and in terms of the Brizzy Lions, I don't think anyone lost respect for the for the Brisbane Lions. They were still fantastic, you know, six two to six goals straight. What could you you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, and and I still thought, you know, um, you know, I all I do it's just been a ripper, you know, seven in disposal. I think she's probably been the best Irish recruit this season. Um, you know, she just had a fantastic um, had had a fantastic day. The usual suspects, you know, through the midfield of of Brisbane were excellent. There's probably one little negative. Brisbane's defence was probably a little bit down, which is a bit unusual, um, which probably let Melbourne get, you know, whether Melbourne sort of figured them out or whether they were just had one of those days. So, yeah, it was probably the only, you know, down for Brisbane is was their defence wasn't probably as strong as it has been, you know, probably the last five years, to be honest. It's, it's been a real key of their game. So, you know, the only thing I could fault Brizzy on, really, you know, because their intent was all there and, you know, the forwards were still doing their job six straights pretty impressive, was probably just, yeah, a couple of um, hiccups in the in the defensive line, which is a bit unusual. So, yeah, not much to take out of that. As I said, Melbourne were already in there, but just cement their belief in playing those top teams coming into finals and, you know, it'll be what it'll be. 
Gravesy tipped Melbourne to win by two goals. Well, Coach Kerry went for the Lions by two goals. So Gravesy got the chocolates there in that game. Uh, Coach Kiwi, uh, after that loss, the Brisbane Lions were, of course, biting their fingernails to find out if they were going to remain in the top two or if they'd fall down into the uh, first week of elimination finals. Um, they ended up holding on to second spot and hosting a f- home final. And in a strange way, that has been a-, a great piece of fortune, not only for them, but for the AFLW when it comes to arranging finals because, as we know, they're currently going through, uh, what is it, a three-day lockdown up there in Brisbane, having to stay at home behind closed doors. So they would have been in trouble to even host a home final this week or go and play somewhere else. But in a good way, Coach Kiwi, perhaps three days off sitting at home with the week off focusing on week two is maybe a good chance to have a mental and physical refresher for the side. Yeah, exactly. Um, for some teams, it does work in their favour, and um, for some, it um, it isn't. So, yeah, it could be, you know, a little bit of a balance of individuals. But they were lucky to play out of Melbourne because I think the Brisbane Lions men's team ended up staying and um, then had to go out shopping and buying some fresh undies and socks because they didn't pack for a few days in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, so for different scenarios for each. But... Um, you know, I think probably the biggest worry for the Lions right now is, is just how they finish that game. You know, they kicked one goal for the whole second half, which, um, you know, it's pretty, you know, tough coming into now. You're in the top six. They do get the week off, but they probably want to be playing some regular footy and um, not have that last half sort of their, what they carry through for the next two weeks. So, you know, I'm sure Starks will want to get them out in the track and um, get some running for that, but um, yeah, I think they just let Shelley Scott get away a little bit much. They probably didn't have the right matchups on her, and um, you know, and and she got three goals clean on them. Um, but Kathy Spark, I think you have to mention Kathy. She, I think, did she get a record? Was it twenty-one tackles? Um, and she got a bunch of possessions as well. But uh, is it Marinoff who's got the tackle record in her game? I believe so. so. It was Marinoff, yeah. So, yeah, she must have, Spark must have been pretty close to um, reaching Marinoff's record. But, um, you know, Anderson played really well. And, you know, as, as Grace hit Aguirre was just awesome. Um, I think Loz Pierce, you know, there's been a few people talking about who is the best ruck. I just think she is. <laughs> Done. <Deal. laughs> Pick her, Kelly Underwood, um, and whoever else is on that panel. Um, but, you know, she just contributes. And I think. She gets around the ground, she takes a mark, she makes the tackles. She didn't get any goals this game, but she's just such a contributor, more than just winning those hits. And, um, and I think that's what you want, is a real mobile ruck who can help you. She, she becomes like the fourth midfielder um, after she's done the hit out. Um, and it's pretty handy. And Maddie Gay, I think she missed the first two rounds of the season, and I think she's been just a real consistent performer since then. And and that's what you want when somebody's out with a bit of an injury. You want them to come back and able to just perform week in, week out. So she was handy for them. Um, and, you know, certainly they might miss some of Daisy's direction and um, some of her footy IQ in the game. But I think what uh, Demons will do is probably take take some confidence out of the match that they did win the game. They did put Brisbane away while Daisy was on the bench. So, um, you know, that will... That would be a big kudos to them. But, yeah, solid match. But, yeah, a bit of a worry, I think, for the Lions heading to the next round. 
In the final game on Saturday, the Gold Coast Suns 3-6-24 went down to the Geelong Cats 6-5-41. That means the Gold Coast Suns end up with the wooden spoon. Tips out of that game. Gravesy went for the Cats by 12 points and got it right. Coach Coe went for the Suns by 26 <laughs> points. Um, also out of that game, Aster O'Connor retiring for the Cats. Sally Riley retiring for the Gold Coast Suns. Um, Graves, the Suns tried to come back. The Cats had built the early lead. It was all over that she wrote. A disappointing end to the season, particularly for the Suns, when even though we had that rotten conference system and the unusual final structure last year, the Suns would have looked to have been wanting to build on that. Unfortunately for them, with a bunch of injuries, mind you, they did go backwards this year. Yeah, true. Oh, well. I can't believe I got the tip. That's weird, isn't it? Um... I still can't believe yeah. you didn't oh. get I, I know. I was like, did Kiwi stooge me last week? I, I thought, oh, God, I've got another loss here. Didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, wow. I don't even know what happened there. Maybe I thought it was at Cassinia Park or whatever. Um, the cats just wanted it more. Like, there's, you know, oh, it's just, there's just not much to say, really. Yeah, so it's the sums of yeah, the sums have been disappointing. It, yeah, in general, overall, and you know, and there's no one that follows the sums or the sums girls themselves that that wouldn't say that. So, yeah, the cats just wanted it more. And I did hear some some uh, commentary around some other stuff of you know people, other commentators that were in the cats rooms before the the start of the game versus the sums rooms, and they were just up and about. And um, yeah, I don't know what was what was going on there. I don't know. Who knows? But, you know, if I want to take some positives out, and I continue to say this, you know, I, I really believe in the talent um, up here and, and where they're going. And, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily the Queensland young talent that let um, the Suns down this season. I thought, you know, Daisy Darcy, Ellie Hampson, both Townsville girls, and Ellie has been out for the season uh, with an injury. Um, unfortunately, her last game was against uh, the Bluebirds uh, last year, and she absolutely pantsed us that day. And, um, you know, and she came out with some serious fire. I just have a few giggles on some of her highlights, just letting everyone know that she was up and about. And she makes a big difference. She's a big body midfielder for them, and they could have used that during the year. But it was good to see the two Townsville girls, you know, going out there. Kindy was better and has certainly played some better games in the latter part of the season. And, Again, she's sort of committed more now to, you know, getting better, which is awesome. You know, Lucy Single and Maddie Levi were, were excellent. You know, Tori Little's Groves, you know, was a little quiet this game, but certainly showed some. So there's some really positive signs with their young fellas, um, you know, moving forward. They've just got to tweak some of that other, that other stuff. What do they put around these young players to ensure that they're, they're going to be um, better and they're going to be supported and nurtured. It's a, it's a bit of a disappointment, actually. Sally Riley is exactly the person that you want around your young people. Um, and, you know, obviously she's called it a day and Sal's just a brilliant human being. And, um, you know, I've had the privilege of, well, I would say coaching her with the Bluebirds uh, last year during COVID, but, you know, really she was her own person. She brought lots to our to our young group and I think she's, you know, really good for those young people and I was obviously having some conversations and messages with her pre-game and, you know, the difference of Lucy Single has certainly been a support of someone like Sally Riley. So you can see the importance of having the right people, the right senior players around your, your young players to nurture them. So, 
Yeah, it, was, it would have been an absolutely disappointing um, season for the Suns, but, you know, it's, I guess it's only up from here. Um, you know, God, you know, the Suns, you know, Lauren Ballard, it was 36 hit-outs to nine, and yet, and yet Geelong were plus four in clearances. Um, so, you know, ultimately their engine room is not functioning um, with the sun. So, and it also shows, you know, Geelong are up and about. They got up and about. They wanted to win that game. And I'm so pleased, you know, for the, for Meg Mack captaining that team. There's no, there's no fun, um, as same with Hannah Dunn being a first year captain. Both of them are first year captains. Um, you know, captaining teams at the bottom of the ladder, it's hard, yakka. But for Meg Mack to come away with a win and, you know, they celebrated after the game like it was a grand final. I thought that was brilliant. Um, and, you know, um, Ren Karras, you know, just a ripper young ruckman getting that goal. Okay, it was at the end of a 50-metre penalty. You know, she'll take the ruck helm in 2022 and she spent some time at Carlton uh, when I was there. And she's just a, she's a quiet, unassuming young um, young girl. And I think, you know, she's just going to be a ripper for them, just goes about her business. So that's fantastic. So, yeah, so Riley, I'm glad that you went out the way you did up there her stats uh, in 2021 season were actually higher um, overall disposals average than it was in her premiership year. So I guess she finished on a high, which was a bit of a bonus. Unfortunately, the Suns didn't. So it is what it is. And, yeah, so happy days for the Cats and Suns. Yep, well, I wouldn't have said wooden spoon, but I'll, I'll eat my words on that one, Keely. Interesting you say <laughs> Renee Karras as well, taking over the ruck reins for Geelong, because I do note, even though she hasn't played yet... Rain, Rain, Rain Karras. I, I, I was going to yep. say, um, I was going to say, listed on Geelong's VFLW list, yet to play a game, though, this year, possibly returning home to Australia soon, one Erin Hoare, who, of course, said when she went overseas, she was pausing her career. She wasn't retiring. So uh, keep, mm. keep, keep your uh, keep your eyes peeled for next year to see if she makes a comeback for the Cats at the AFLW level. And uh, for Coach Kiwi, the Cats avoid the wooden spoon, but because they're the lowest Victorian-based uh, team uh, when it comes to the draft pool, it looks like they've still won the Georgie Prasparkas Cup and we'll probably get her as pick one. <laughs> I believe they've gotten rid of it. Who knows? They keep changing the rules all the time, but I believe they've gotten rid of it. Because if that rule was still in place, then Georgie's off to St Kilda, but I believe that rule is now gone. Uh, which, which, which is fair mm. enough, considering that Geelong and Casey Fields are almost equal distance from Melbourne CBD. Mm. I yeah. Think it's, um, Georgie it's, won't go to Geelong for anything in the world, mate. Give you the drum. <laughs> She'll sit out another year if it takes her. She's she's a gun young player, oh, without a doubt. Um, but you know they might actually want someone a bit more like um, Charlie Robot, and she's a bit bigger and a really another gun midfield um, player, but a bit bigger body. Um, and yeah, there's I mean there's there's a couple of really good um, ball users coming through as well with Bridie Hipwell and Keanu Lynch um, that. Depends what sort of player they're after, but um, but yeah, the Geelong team finished the year off on a high. They might want to replace a ruck, um, you know, with Asta retiring. Or um, oh, was that who else retired? I forgot about that. Sorry, my bad. I know you're devastated with that one. 
Um, yeah, look, Geelong finished the year on a high, and um, I think from the get go you could tell they were out there. To, they, they went out there to mean business, and they were hungry for the football. And um, you know, it didn't matter that Gold Coast were hosting the game. Geelong were there to win and take the points back to um, to Avalon Airport, and um, you know, they they let the Suns come back and kick a couple of goals in that third quarter, but. I think the damage was done early on um, on the scoreboard, and Geelong just you know continued to plug away. Um, is it? Two, I think three goals, three goals for them in each half. So um, you know they were just they were just good. Probably the highlight for them, I think, was Rocky Cranston late in the game. The goal that she got was it? I think we just saw a glimpse of Rocky of old, and that's probably what most people have been waiting all season to to see the Rocky of old come alive and, um, you know, it's sort of, she's sort of just not been her usual kind of self this season. So um, so it was good to see that she's still got the long bombs and she can still make the big high marks. Um, but yeah, Drennan was just solid again through the midfield, um, you know, and Bella was just, you know, she's an outstanding ruck without a doubt. And, you know, certainly that's something that the Suns need to look at is, is the type of material they set up around her. Because, um, yes, yeah, as Greg said, she, she wins a lot of hit-outs, but they're just not winning the ball through the midfield. Um, but, you know, for the stats, it was pretty even for both, you know, similar kicks and handballs, disposals. And Geelong just had that edge on the efficiency, and that's, you know, something that can hurt a team too. If you're not really good when you do win the football, um, teams are going to punish you a little bit when they um, start to move around the ground. So... There are a little bit of work for Suns to do in the off season. I think they go back now and um, have a pretty solid quaffle season. So, um, you know, gives gives David Lake and Co a chance to probably go out hunting for that for that thrusting midfielder that um, they can bolster the the lineup. But um, yeah, Geelong, I think just look at look far, look for the the youngsters coming through, um, and yeah, they've got to look for a new ruck. So as we hit the halfway point of the round, or at least four games in at this stage, Gravesy was leading 3-1 to one on the tips and looking like to make a miraculous comeback. And then Sunday came. The Adelaide Crows, 4-7-31, defeated Collingwood 2-5-17. Gravesy went for the Pies by two goals. Coach Kiwi went for the Crows by 18 points. In the end, it was a Crows victory. And uh, Gravesy, the Crows, after all of this, end up with the minor premiership. Well, no, no, I got stitched up. I got stitched <laughs> up because Kiwi was allowed oh, to go... Not. Well, she was allowed to go first, so I just had to take the opposite team to her. Because you, you, you said in the notes, you said in the notes that Kiwi was to go first. This is crap. That, that is correct. Because of course I would have gone for Chelsea Randall. Jesus. <laughs> you know, whatever. Anyway, no, no worries. No worries at all. If I'm going to go down, I might, you know, it's like, you know, win the, lose the game by point, you may as well lose by 10 goals because it's more heartbreaking losing by point than it is by 10 goals because the game's <laughs> over by the start. So That's I was, the next I was game. Done about three rounds ago. Yeah, I was done about three rounds ago, mate. Um, yeah, so, well, whatever. You know, this game, brilliant. Isn't it funny? Like, we talk about Frio, oh, just teetering on a bit, you know, I don't think Lions are sort of teetering on it, but yeah, and Pies, wow, you know, 17 points, 
you know, it could be we've seen all these high-scoring games, and as I mentioned a couple of, uh, you know, well, a couple of minutes ago, really, is that it'd be interesting to see this final series may not be this massive, high-scoring, amazing um, season that we've seen so far. I think it's just going to be an absolute grind um, with some of the scores that we've seen in this last round that have been really low. I mean, still the talents there and they're amazing games, they're nail biters. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see what's going on. Yeah, in terms of that, the, the Crows tackle pressure was just amazing, wasn't it? It was like every time the Pies got it, it was just like bounce. It was like they remembered what Melbourne did to them a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, Crows <laughs> just came out doing that. It was like wow, it was just. Amazing. I mean, the marking I thought was really elite in both teams. There's some really good marks in both teams. Um, you know, the Crows get, you know, the week off, which is happy days. I really was, you know, how was Stevie Lee? <laughs> I had to have a giggle. Stevie Lee, when you just get that ball and turns around and you know, Casey just runs into it and just like, boom. Stevie Lee was like, yep, whatever. And Casey was just like, down on like 10 ants on the ground. I just... That was a highlight for me. I did have a very good giggle at that. So, yeah, so it's weird, isn't it? Pies fell, you know, fell to third and Dockers fell to fifth and it was all, like, melting. And then, yeah, Crows sneak up there and take minor premiers. Thanks for coming. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was interesting. And it, it's funny, isn't it? Um, you know, um, uh, the Pies, you know, I, I think I even spoke about it in, you know, VFL when, when we all joined together. All of us, um, you know, VFL footy with the pies when, you know, I said, well, it's only their midfielders that are kicking goals. So when are they going to find themselves a forward? It felt a bit like that on the weekend. You know, there's, you know, without their mids, when their mids are really well held, um, like Chloe Malloy, et cetera, et cetera. And I know Lambert kicked, a, you know, a couple of, a, a ripper in there. It seems that they don't score very high. So, yeah, it's interesting. I still don't know if they've got that key, that key forward. Um, and I know they lost George Membry um, with an ACL early. So that was, yeah, so that was interesting. But, oh, wow, Hatchard was awesome. Malloy was quiet. Lambert was good. But, yeah, Crows are scary good coming into finals again. You know, I like to share it around a bit. And I do love the Crows. I love the way they play footy. And I love to see, you know, Chelsea as a you know, standalone captain raise the cup. But, you know, three in five years. Come on, give everyone else a go. But, yeah, they're a bit scary good. <laughs> Crows, a bit scary good. Absolutely. Kiwi might have it right there just quietly. If that's who she picked. I can't really remember. But, anyway, that's I my do. issue. Uh, was that a was that a start a, a middle and an end? I'm not sure. Um, Lammy, you can let me know via Twitter this week. I'm not sure. See you, mate. Oh boy, uh, Coach Kiwi for the Pies. <laughs> this is uh, two losses out of the last three weeks. Um, their only victory, of course, uh, in the last three weeks, coming over the Saints. Uh, it's against quality opposition, but are the Pies starting to run out of gas? Come to the business end of the year. Yeah, it's um, it is a little bit interesting, isn't it? Um, I think uh, last week we we absolutely praised them for their efficiency inside fifty. I think they were eighty eight percent, something like that. Um, and the week before, you know, it was probably pretty average, around about forty three percent. But this week, I mean, you probably don't even have to look at the stats to see and just know that 
kicking 17 points just isn't going to be enough, and especially in the top six. But their stat for it is 29%. So they've gone from 88 down to 29. They've only got seven shots from 24 inside 50s. That's just not good enough for the top six teams, and it's just not going to help them. Um, you know, even if they had a key forward, they need to be putting a few more balls in and, um, you know, making some better use of it. Um, we're talking about good Irish players. I think Ashling Sheridan is pretty handy and takes a lot forward. She um, actually goes quite high up the field and, and makes the tackles and brings the ball down with her pace and stuff as well. And um, probably just needs a couple more around her to play to fulfil that forward role a little better. Um, Sophie Alexander, she's she's quite a cunning forward, and I've seen her play really, really well. But I don't know that she. Um, I don't think she'll be happy with her season she's having at the moment. So, you know, who knows? She might be able to lift this for the next few rounds. She's the type of person, um, you know, type of character that will absolutely come back and um, do something amazing for the team. So, um, you know, perhaps the Pies have got that up their sleeve and maybe she's just been uh, resting a little bit, um, saving herself for the for the, for the finals. Um, Benici, she was in everything uh, as she's been for the last few weeks and, um, you know, and same with, little Jamie Lambert. Um, but yeah, that, that hit on the sideline. I think everyone felt the crunch no matter where you were watching the game. Um, so I don't, I don't know um, if so if Casey will make it back on the field because I think it, well, it looked to me like she was actually knocked out. So um, I would imagine that would be a 12-day automatic um, sit out and have your rest, put your feet up. Um, but, um, you know, Hatchard Hatchard and Marinoff, they were just solid for Adelaide through that middle. And, um, you know, I thought Erin probably had a bit of a quiet game. She didn't get on the scoreboard. Um, she, I think, only got around about 16 possessions, which generally quiet for her, but it just shows how much the rest of the team get involved and contribute. And, um, you know, and that's probably where... It, you set off the alarm bells for the other teams. Is um, you know when you come against Adelaide, and we've said this before that they just have good players all over the park. They're not relying on just Aaron Phillips to win them the game. Um, so you know they're peaking at the right time. They've done this before. They've you know lost early games in the season and they've come really good at the right end. And um, you know they've jumped from fourth place to take out the minor premiership. Is um, I guess what we now come to know is just doing in Adelaide um, is just something special and this team have got it oodles of it. So, um, yeah, well done to them. The Giants and Carlton met and it was the reverse tips, which I can't believe. Gravesy went for the Giants and Kiwi went for the Blues. <laughs> Gravesy went for the Giants by nine points. Kiwi, the Blues by a lazy 100. Uh, yeah, fair bit off the uh, margin there, Kiwi, but you no, did get the no, tip no, right no, in the no, end. No, 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 no. I think you've got them around the wrong way. Can you confirm I went this? I Okay, yeah, have I got yeah. around the wrong way? Because I thought that yeah. sounded I'm, I'm weird. I'm going to take the Suns one, but I'm pretty sure I went for the Suns one. Mind you, well. I, I, I'm copying down I'll the notes. I'm copying down the notes that were sent to me by Fee. <laughs> so I'm throwing <laughs> her under the bus. Now the only she reason why I know. Yeah, she was playing the Darabin drinking game, so those notes could be anything. <laughs> you mean she took notes? 
<laughs> Maybe any notes on me with the feedback. God, harsh. Okay, the score out of that game, Carlton 4-8-32, defeated the GWS Giants 4-7-31. One point in it, the Blues won. But, Gracie, could that game and that result be the perfect way to describe both of these sides' season? You said it in one piece, wasn't it? I mean, Blues had all the opportunity to make, yeah, the Blues season. It was, it was just the story of their season, wasn't it? Um, yeah, one point, it, you know, it, for a team that was vying for finals, and yeah, what did we say, GWS had to win by 250. Um, interestingly enough, they were plus 30, GWS were plus 37 in disposals. Now, when we talked about the Blues, and I think, you know, when they asked the captains at the start of the year, Blues were resounding going to be, you know, the, were the premiership favourites. And, and so, yeah, their season was disappointing. And Giants... You know, you'd say taking it up to the Blues, you know, if they were if the premiership contender would have been a highlight, 31-32. But, you know, GWS with with that many more disposals probably really kind of wasted it a bit. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, Cora Staunton obviously listens to the pod because heard Kiwi just given her an absolute spray last week. And she was really good this week. Um, and I thought Tate Mackerel was bloody awesome. Her two goals were rippers. She's just a, you know, she just, just worked hard. I really enjoyed, you know, really enjoyed her game. Um, you know, yeah, I think the Blues would be disappointed. And, and at the end of the day, if it wasn't for the Blues full forward playing the goalkeeper, Darcy Vessio taking those two marks on the last line, um, you know, Giants would have won by a couple of kicks. Like, Giants were coming. It was literally, as I said, Carlton's full forward. And that's that's really been the story of Darcy Versio's year. She's, weirdly enough, really carried a lot of that footy team, um, which is awesome because we love Darcy. But, yeah, so just working both ends beautifully. Kicks two go- goals down, the, down her end to, you know, take out the leading goal kicker and then actually stops the Gold Coast, uh, sorry, the Giants, the GWS Giants, Right on the line, within you know inches of winning the footy game, uh, two goals down the other end. It was it was weird, you know. And Blues ultimately, yeah, they'll be disappointed. You know, Darcy Versio had a ripping season; she was a highlight. But Nick Stevens, Bree Moody, you know, Loz Gazali, Lalawifi were you know were excellent for Carlton all year, but there just wasn't enough contributors. Um, yeah, even probably Mads Press Parkers, even though she. They still would have wrecked up, you know, an average over 20 possessions. You know, knowing knowing Maddie P, she would have been hard on herself. But, um, but they really missed, you know, breed, a Bree Davy type, didn't they, in the guts. And, and Carlton really moving forward, need to find another couple of mids to support Maddie P. Um, you know, Loinsy and, and Al Downey, for them to go out, at least they got a win. That was, that was at least good for... For Al and, and Loinsy, and we love Loinsy, and, and Al Downey's just a ripping person as well and really brings such professionalism um, to the Blues outfit. And, you know, she was probably the only person, the only woman at Carlton that I was really feared. She used to scare the living bejeebies out of me, Al Downey. So, yeah, so she's a ripping chick. And I just think they missed, you know, they missed, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I think they missed Chloe Dalton's speed. And they were certainly better when Brooke Walker returned. So they need to find some speed and they need to find some speed through the guts um, for that. And, 
so a little bit the same with Giants. You know, they they need support for you know Beck Beeson and and um, Elise Parker have been you know just fantastic midfielders for them. They've racked up. You know, they'd both be over, you know, averaging out of a 20 disposals for the season as well. But they need to find more. The Giants, and you know, said so there's some barriers to, for them to find talent. But, you know, Carlton have had every opportunity. They've got some seriously talented players in that group. They need to find a way to get, you know, to draw that talent out of, you know, the McAvoys and such and some of their other draft picks. Um, and the ones that did really well last year for them that probably put them in, you know, that premiership sort of favouritism uh, this season probably didn't fire as much as we all expected them to. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, to see what they do with um, with the two senior girls going out and whether they – what they find for that. But, yeah, both teams really need to find some some real pace and some real, you know, game changers. I think the Blues have got those game changers. I think they need to find a way to extract that out of them and maybe it's, um, you know – it's an issue, but it, it's interesting. We, we spoke about what, where the COVID and whether the Victorian teams would have, you know, the yips around COVID. It's interesting. There is a lot of interstate teams in that finals group that are playing pretty good footy. Um, and some of the Victorian teams now look a little bit tired, which means, you know, the other teams have had probably a dozen more footy games um, this season, or t- say 20. 20 season coming to 2021 so it'll be interesting to see what happens in finals um you know it's been a, a long short season as we discussed last week but um you know they get go at such intensity these aflw girls both in their lives their footy training and their footy so yeah it'll be interesting to see what goes on but yeah these two were really yeah you know giants ended up okay um in the end um but yeah the blues would have been disappointed and no doubt you know the Carlton fans would have you know would have been expecting more so coach Kiwi as we know that um Loinsy and uh Alison Downey are to quote Carlton are set to depart the club I, I find that interesting language which probably confirms they haven't officially retired but at least have been told that they will mm-hmm. not be on the Carlton list next year so who knows if one of them will pop up at another AFLW club we know GWS also facing a, a similar situation everyone's hoping obviously Cora will come back next year but she's 39 and we know the clock is ticking in that regard same with the likes of Tanya Heatherton in uh, mid-30s the clock is ticking there both sides very similar situation the older players are starting to part both of them need talent. They're, they're both stuck at the midway part, but both have a very different off-season coming up. For GWS, of course, they don't have that competitive uh, uh, draft pool. They have an exclusive pool of New South Wales ACT, but it is a task of trying to convince talent from other state to come to uh, Sydney. And, and for Carlton, they're in this very awkward spot, fifth in the order when it comes to the Victorian draft. And kind of in that weird spot of, are they still in the premiership window? Or is the premiership window closing on them? What do they do when it comes to the trade table? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I actually, I think Loins is going to leave a huge hole at um, Carlton. I just think she she's a tough body and she just throws herself around. And, um, you know, I don't think you're going to get a young... Uh, draftee who's going to put their body on the line quite the way that Lindsay has done and um, you know and you know back up with the experience in football now that she has um, I know we've got the father son and the, not quite the mother daughter rule I wonder if we have the sister sister rule 
and you know that might help Carlton get over the line with the draft picks. <laughs> they can get get another Chris Parkinson. Um, but you know it might be time to change the rules so they can help them. Um, Storm was just she was outstanding again, and she, she's almost ageless. And I, you know, I kind of wonder if we say that she's thirty nine by her birth year, but in her football life, you know, this is only I think her third or fourth season. She's played a sport that's pretty much non-contact. So could that mean she's got a few more years left in those legs and taking these kind of tackles because she spent so much of her time um, in just the running type of a game, not so much the contact stuff. So, you know, she might have two more years or three more years left in her. Um, and if she keeps improving at the rate she is, well, I'd be happily um, waving Cora flag around the field, um, you know, without a doubt. But, yeah, I think Bisa is probably her best season uh, so far in the FOW. And, you know, she really developed into that midfield role this year. And she finished on a um, – I'm pretty sure for her it's a record high of 27 disposals um, and beat Parker, which is – I don't think that happens too often for the Giants that someone gets more disposals than Parker. But, um, you know, and then Eva backed that up. I think that was actually Alicia Eva's best game this season. She um, she got a hand on the ball twenty uh, times, but she also and made Coach Kiwi. There's an interesting stat mm-hmm. here for you that I've just seen courtesy of Gemma Bastiani. Elise Parker and Rebecca Beeson accounted for fifty point three percent of the Giants' clearances this AFLW season. Yep, well that's no surprise. Thanks, Gemma, for that. Um, you know they they have they've just been absolutely solid through that midfield um, and. I mean, that's an incredible stat, isn't it? Boy. Um, but, yeah, they, um, you know, it's, I don't know if they can keep playing Eva in that role um, just because she's a smaller body and the game's just getting that much faster and I think the tackles are harder. Um, so they might want to look at backing that up or or do they, you know, keep the likes of Britt Tully and take Macrolune because they're a bit more bigger, solid bodies too and just throw them in and out a little bit. Um, they used to have Hanin Sharika would often play in the inside midfield role too, which this season we've seen her mostly um, play as a small forward. So I guess there's a little bit of, um, um, you know, backup options for Giants. Um, for them, I think their biggest challenge is just to be consistent. They've, you know, they've, they've had a good lineup for a few years and they've just not been able to get consistent performance on the field. They'll play a couple of really good quarters. And then they'll let the oppo come back at them. And um, that's probably their biggest worry, I think, is, is finding out, you know, the type of game they can play and play really well and then sustain it over the four quarters and then back it up the following week. So, um, but yeah, for, for those Giants players, I think you'll see a chunk of them come down and finish off the VFLW season. So they'll get a few more games in for the season and, um, yeah, I don't know that too many will go back and play in the Sydney comp, which is due to start around about April, I think, is that comp. So, um, so you know, so Victorian fans can uh, still cheer on um, the girls from the west, the greater west of Sydney. <laughs> um, Carlton, you know, certainly they'll be happy that they finished the season on a high, but I reckon overall they're going to be pretty disappointed and... Um, you know, where they finished on the ladder and, and the games that they let get away. You know, they could have put Fremantle away um, in that match and, and let them come back in. And, you know, 
you know, they, they had a couple of co- close games at the beginning of the season too. So, um, you know, it was good to see um, Darcy. I'd love to see her GPS from that match, actually, just to see how many kilometres she's covering because, um, you know, as Grazy pointed out, she was at both ends of the field in the same quarter, you know. is um, It's just incredible. Um, but she, you know, she just clearly got a big tank and can just run all day. Um, and and still banging the goal, she finished um, with the most goals for the season, which is her second time. So, um, you know, sort of proving, I think, to the doubters, there was a lot of people mid-year sort of saying that Darcy was a bit overrated, wasn't getting involved, wasn't getting on the scoreboard. And I think what they didn't see was her work effort up the field and what she was doing, contributing to setting up other people for the goals. Um, makes a handy uh, little forward. Um, Hetherington, you know, she is getting a bit older, but I think um, she was smarter in the way that she used her body and her footing out and um, perhaps taking some of the playbook from Stacey Livingston. I thought she did a really, really tidy job on Taylor Harris and stopped her having any impact on the game at all, really. Um which, you know, is no mean feat. You know, Taylor's quite a talented player, so you have to absolutely be on your game to stop, you know, someone of their ability. So, um, you know, hats off to, to Tanya for doing that. But, um, yeah, you know, probably Giants may have wished they got the four points, but I think they'll be happy with the way they did finish the game or finish the season. And the final game of the home and away season. Grazy went for the West Coast Eagles by five points. Coach Kerry went for the St Kilda by 11 points. In the end, the Saints 11-10-76 walloped the West Coast Eagles 3-20. Grazy, just when we thought that the St Kilda train, the wheels were falling off, it was coming to a, a crashing end like an RKO from out of nowhere, somehow St Kilda deliver West Coast a walloping. Yeah, again, I'm... Pete, I think these tips are around the wrong way. Oh. No, you did not, you did not no, pick no, St no. Kilda. I, I could what? believe I could believe on the Giants Blues one that it's around the wrong way from Phoebes, but I know you're always going to back your WA side there, Crazy. Oh, mate, I love the girls at the Eagles. I can't stand the Eagles, so no, I don't know where you're going from there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love the players. Don't get me wrong. Uh, okay, I'll I'll stick with it. But yeah, the bit of stuff. I don't recall that. If someone has to play the show back, I'm going to listen to it tomorrow on the way to Byron in the pissing rain. Um, okay, yeah, sweet. Um, yeah, same. Awesome. I'm chuffed that they won because. Whatever, whatever the tips were, I'm, I'm just they won. Saints absolutely pollacked them. I'm so glad they they were back and they finished the season like that because, you know, they were so up and about and they were so inspiring <laughs> early. Back off, Kiwi. I don't know what's going on there. That wasn't me this time. Um, yeah, so they were so inspiring early, but they just smashed this. I was like, oh, my goodness, they played in such crappy weather in Melbourne and everywhere else, you know, for... The, the last couple of games, and I think they just really enjoyed the weather over there. They were plus 84 disposals, the Saints, to Eagles. So, I mean, that really was, you know, it was five scoring shots to 23. Thanks for coming. Yeah, Eagles got smashed, basically. Um, and we talk about the snapshot of, you know, the, the two seasons. 
Um, you know, I thought with West Coast Eagles, yeah, they had a heap of injuries and, and injuries to senior players with, you know, Hooker and then obviously Swanee getting getting shafted by the umpires just quietly um, <laughs> or by the match review panel or God knows whoever, but that was ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, it was it was tough for them in the latter part of the season. I thought, you know, Ash Atkins happy was, you know, was really good certainly in the latter part of the season. Um, after sort of coming back, and I think she might have been injured. But, you know, Mick Bowen, who was, you know, drafted as a pre-draft by Eagles, pretty much still the youngest player on their list. You know, she just needs support. She's like a bit like Maddie P, you know. They just, they keep, you know, busting their holes and getting not much reward or not much support around them. So the Eagles have to think about how they're going to put support around, you know, those smaller bodies. You know, Belinda Smith, I thought, worked really hard out of defence. Um, you know, was really showed her her run and carry and what she's really good at. Um, you know, the Saints, you know, they just had more workers this week. We, we've spoken about, you know, they was, in those first few rounds, they were so well-rounded. They had so many contributors, um, you know, contributors to goal, contributors through the mids. And, you know, that they saw that come back this week. You know, Guthridge 18, Rosie Dillon 16, Greiser 16, which was wicked. You know, two goals too. So I saw the big G train come back with it. You know, Patrikios, oh, he's a gun. 30, thanks for coming. Happy days. Thank Georgia Patrikios. The quarter cannons are just delivering with the two Ps and, and all actually the three Ps. The, the two, um, Chris Parkinson and, and, and now, and Patrikios. So just killing it. You know, Cap Phillips, 18. Young Smith, 24. Ree Watt, who's a bit of a Brave favourite, 16, and Sheila, 15. They just had numbers. You know, their they're players, their good players just got heaps of the footy. Um, and, you know, I think finishing off a season like that for the Saints is, is awesome. The, the Eagles would have been disappointed finishing off that way. But, you know, they've got plenty to build on and they'll get those senior players back and around and some good WA talent running around in the, in the Waffle W already. Um, particularly in the black and white team, just saying. Um, so, yeah, so they're up and about. Um, so, yeah, so they've still got some really good talent. Yeah, this is where, you know, I guess West Australian teams can get that local talent, whereas Sydney, you know, it's, it's such a shame. I was thinking about, Kiwi, what you said in the, the last game in terms of, you know, all the, you know, and I get that a lot of their players are Victorians and they can't go back home to, you know, in the winter, but wouldn't it be amazing for the Sydney competition to have those players playing in the Sydney comp so that, you know, so that the girls uh, in New South Wales are playing against the best to sort of, you know, test where their talent is and to see where they are. So whereas, you know, the the Eagles girls, they'll go back to, you know, a, a quite a talented competition and, and share their experience. And um, But, yeah, so it's, it's such a difference between the traditional footy states and the non-traditional states. Uh, in terms of that. But, yes, Saints, um, yeah, they, they'll come into 2022 up and about and knowing what they need to do um, under Coach Pete Searle. And, and the Eagles go back to the drawing board and, and look at the talent in WA and see where they can, where they can you know, restock some of those, uh, some of those gaps. Um, but, you know, all in all, it was, again, not the, uh, I know, what did I say, they were going to win Wooden Spoon. It certainly wasn't that. And I'm, I'm pleased for the Eagles, um, for the Eagles girls, that they weren't that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, finishing off a season like that was probably a little bit disappointing for them. But kudos, Saints, up and about, great work.
And Coach Kiwi, as Gravesy mentioned, Georgia Patrikios with 30 touches. Some are saying there's whispers going around that no doubt that Bowers and Davey are among the favourites to win the league best and fairest. But the whispers are maybe Patrikios is a smoky. Yeah, well, you know, you'd be a fool to rule her out. I think um, the midfield that she's been in, she's just dominated that week in, week out, and she doesn't really have any uh, competition, whereas the likes of Bree Davey probably would lose points to Benici, um, oh, maybe Lambert. I uh, don't know that Malloy would have got many maybe for early in the season. So you got to factor that in, um, who's around them, I think, in the matches, and um, and probably, you know, last year there was a big talking point about one of the North players um, featuring so low Ghana. in the best there. Mm. Yeah, which, I mean, when you went back and looked at it, I think it was, uh, I think it was only four points difference. It's just when they put the placings in, she was like 12 or something. But, you know, that's, that's tougher from six games. There's not a lot of points to, to share. But, you know, Patricia was excellent. She had 30 disposals. But she had seven score involvement. So, you know, that's something you really want from your midfielders too. If you're getting a lot of um, footy in your hands is, is how you um, make good value of it. And I think, you know, she did that and she fed the ball forward quite a lot. And she was back that with Tiana Smith. Is it Tiana? Tiana? Smith, anyway. Um, <laughs> that's why I went with Smith as well, mate. T. Smith. T. Smith. Um, you know, I think she copped a whack. Um, and and got a blood nose early in the game, but um, she just runs, you know. She she had twenty four disposals, but she also kicked the ball inside fifty seven times, which you know that sets up your key forwards. And this week of all the weeks, you know, last week we really, you know, it's crazy, not me, ripped into um, the St Kilda tools not not really featuring in the, um, you know, or, or St Kilda not really using the tools, you know, with Greiser and Sheila, but, um, and they had Tamara Luke last week, which I uh, noticed she was omitted this week. But, you know, they go over to Perth and then, bang, they start kicking the ball for their tools and, and look what happens, you know, they kick goals. So, you know, perhaps, you know, Pete was listening to the likes of Gravesy and me and took that on board and went and worked on her team and said, hey, you know what, let's feed the tools and get the ball on their heads. And, um, you know, and they were just consistent throughout that, you know, they kicked goals every quarter and um, and really put put West Coast away, I think. I, don't, I, just, I just don't think West Coast had any answer. I don't think they had the height. Um, uh, they certainly have the speed. And when we talk about Irish players who are good, um, those Kelly sisters, boy, they've just got some speed. Um, and it's Grace Kelly who normally plays in the forward line. And the last couple of weeks, they've sent Neve Kelly forward. And I think Grace is incredibly fast, but Neve is faster. And, um, you know, the, I think she was one of their best last week. And again, um, she backed that up this week and she... You know, she didn't kick a goal, but she got 13 disposals. She ran up the field a few times, got in a few bounces. She's making tackles. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, I just think that they're probably two of the better. I know Dwyer's also very good, but I think, um, you know, the Kelly sisters are just tremendous. And West Coast did really, really well taking sisters, but um, taking two guns, Gaelic 
football is on. So, um, and this is where I think, you know, and we've talked about this, the game's going faster and you need quick players. And, you know, what West Coast showed is with these two youngsters, they're versatile. They can play in different lines on the field and, um, you know, and do different things. Score goals, make tackles, run and bounce. Um, and oval ball that they're not quite, you know, they haven't grown up bouncing the oval ball um, makes things a little bit different. Um, I think also, um, is it Paris Laurie? I think she injured her ankle in the warm up for them as well, and it was too late to change to the emergency player. So, um, you know, she battled on throughout the game, but um, yeah, I think West Coast just, you know, losing Swanee. Um, and then, you know, copies some other injuries. Dana Hooker, early in the year, they just had a lot of um, hurdles to climb week in, week out. So um, they won't be happy with how their season ended and they probably won't be happy with how the season went and um, certainly probably happy that it is over and they can start planning for next year, I imagine. And and, and no doubt, you know, as Greg said, go into um, the WA competition and, and find some um, next stars to fill the gap for them on the field but yeah St Kilda will be happy to finish the year as they did um, and it definitely I guess showed showed some brilliance of how they were early in the season too and after having was it four or five weeks of absolutely getting pumped um, you know they'll be stoked to finish the season pumping someone else I'm sure so that concludes the home and away season. I should mention that you uh, both gave your wooden spoon tips for the year. Coach Kiwi went for the Tigers. Gravesy <laughs> went for the West Coast Eagles. Gravesy was nearest to the pin on that one. The Eagles finished 12th. <laughs> Richmond finished 10th. For Yay! your For your grand final... something. For your grand final he predictions... nearest to the pin. It's just so you got it. I should say, for your grand final predictions, both of you have only got at least a minimum 50% so far because you both tipped Carlton to make the grand final. They finished seventh. Should, dare I say, a half-hearted finish to the year. Um, you, at the moment, you're both still alive, though, for the Premier. Gravesy has tipped Frio to be Premiers. They're fifth and got the long road there. While Coach Kiwi has tipped the Crows to win the Premiership. They are currently minor Premiers with the week off. And that means at the end of the home and away season, with a score of 45-40, to 40, Coach Kiwi has taken out... The tipping for 2021. I leave the floor to you for your victory speech, Kiwi. Yes. Can Gravy shut up so I can have my victory speech? Um, I'd like to thank all my sponsors. And um, and B is obviously my main sponsor from Sydney. Um, no, this has been great fun. And probably the best fun is beating Gravy. Oh, thanks, man. Dude. But, you know, we've got finals now. Do we start back at scratch? Oh, yeah, can we, can we, can we? Well, yeah, we can start back at scratch. We can kind of say that, you know, congratulations, you both qualified for the finals. It's a top two system. <laughs> Boom. Well, mate, there is Let's five. There is five games in the finals, so we can make it a best of five or something like that. We'll figure out the as we go along. But let's tip the qualifying finals. They are this weekend. They are back to back because the AFL doesn't like fans being able to get from one ground to the other ground. Casey Fields at one o five p.m. local time. It's Melbourne versus Fremantle. Losers first. Gravesy. Who wins between Melbourne and Fremantle and by how much? 
Oh, listen, I need first say that Melbourne will get home to their houses just after Frio get home to WA. So that's a distance that they'll, <laughs> they'll travel. Um, so, no, nah, Frio, oh, God, I'm going to screw myself again in this through just sheer emotion and back and, no, nah, come on, come on, doctors, you can do it. Surely, bloody Casey feels how they've thrown themselves under the bus, haven't they? Um, yeah, no, nah, Frio, up and about, just kick some scores in the first half, girls. Honestly, hit a target. Help me out, Jimmy Howe, and behave. Roxy Rue, just quiet down, girl. Play your role. <laughs> Anywho, yep. And, uh, yeah, Daisy, have a rest, but I want to see you. Well, I guess it's qualifying, isn't it? So if I see Daisy in the second week of finals, that I've kind of screwed my tip. But, yeah, anyway, I'm barricading for Daisy to get back the footy and Frio to win the game, which is kind of you know, not quite right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Daisy could get back and play at Jarabin. Oh, you just had to throw it in, didn't you? I did. We're running out of time. I did. Right. Go on then, Pete. I'm going. Um, I'm going. I'm going. The Dockers by a kick by six points, mate. Coach Kiwi. Look, you know who I think when we got to the end of round six, we thought Melbourne were not going to win one of their last three games. They've won all three. Two of them at Casey. I'm going to back them for another third win at Casey Field. With a crowd of 102, because everyone will be probably at Victoria Park. Um, and I think <laughs> geez, without Daisy, um, they'll still go all right, but I reckon they're going to win by seven. We go to Victoria Park for the second edition of the Scott Gowans Cup between Collingwood and the Kangaroos. <laughs> it was been at Marvel Stadium last time. The Pies admit that they're playing for Scott Gowans to kind of get a bit back on North for letting him go. But uh, Collingwood, for the first time ever, have had to back up after actually going on the road and leaving the States. Gravesy, who wins between the Pies and the Roos and by how much? I'm going the darkest stripes. I'm going the pies by 12. Ooh. <laughs> I got to go first. <laughs> yes, Pete. Thank you. Coach Kiwi, come he's on. Done this, he's done the pity this year. This, this, oh, we're already, we've already had letting, different in the first go one, first mate. every time. I haven't missed this, Pete. Notes are taken. What are you going to um, do? Take I'm, his birthday off him? Yeah, probably. No, well, mm. it means the time I see him in person, I may not bring you a special coffee. It might be just a normal coffee. Mm. He knows the value of my special coffees. Um, look, <laughs> I think, um, you know, we talk about Melbourne at home at Casey and being so solid, um, Crows that are owning Norwood. I don't think the Pies have owned Victoria Park this year. They've looked shaky every time they go out there. If this game was at Marvel, perhaps, you know, I'd back them a little more. But, um, well, you know, I hope they get in there, but I'm going to mix things up and go north. <laughs> go Ooh. for both. Um, oh, I really don't want north to win, though. Well, don't, yeah, don't, well, pick pies, mate. It's okay. It's finals. Finals, footy. Do it. Do it. So, Hot so so then at least we have one and a half for next week each. Yeah, stuff it. I reckon Pies are going to win by 10. What so, do you say, Gracie? Well, Gracie went for the Pies 12, by 12. 
Yeah, we'll go yeah. closer to the pen in finals, Pete. And, 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 and um, can you do Yes. We'll go. We'll go with closest uh, to the pin, and I love how Coach Kiwi goes. Yes, the pies look shaky at Victoria Park, mind you. The pies have not lost at Victoria Park this year. <laughs> yeah, but they've looked shaky there, though. I know they haven't lost, but they just look shaky. They just they haven't really dominated teams at that field because oh. they probably played decent ones there, mate. Or just I just don't feel comfortable that they've put them away early, maybe. <laughs> a, win, a win is a win is a win. And that is There's a, a win weird Coach wind. Keep... There is a weird wind at, at Vic Park, I must say. And half of that's there coming is. from the cheer squad. It is. <laughs> it's that open half of the ground, mate. It's that open half of the ground. It's not protected by the grandstand. Exactly. Coach Kiwi and Nicole Graves, thanks again for your company this week on another edition of Coach versus Coach. And a big thank you again to Fifi, Fiona Lamb, for filling in for last week. <laughs> Get on your feet yeah. and have a happy Easter. <laughs>We're about to jump shortly into our State League report and we've got coming up as our featured guest, uh, Katara Wapfara from Coolangatta Tweed when we focus on Queensland football and then Olivia Barton from Port Melbourne when we focus on the VFLW. Unfortunately for fans of the WAFLW and the Sandfield W, uh, we ran out of time and were unable to hear back from the people that we reached out to to interview this week. Uh, you'll hear the scores a little more in depth in the WAFL women's footy report and also the Sandfield women's footy report available at WARFradio.com if you go to that mini podcast. But I'll just quickly go through the scores from both of these competitions over the weekend. Uh, in the WAFLW, uh, we saw Swan Districts 7-4-46 defeat Claremont 2-1-13. Subiaco 11-12-78 easily account for South Romano a one straight six. And uh, East Fremantle 2-7-19 went down to Peel Thunder 9-5-59. They will have a break for the Easter long weekend and they'll return with action for round seven, Saturday, April 10th, when it's Claremont versus South Fremantle, Peel Thunder versus Subiaco in the uh, Twilight game, the primetime game, as I like to call it, and on Sunday afternoon, April 11th, East Fremantle versus Swan Districts. Across to the Sandfall W, uh, results from that, we had a tie between South Adelaide and North Adelaide. 3-3-21 apiece in Friday night football. They'll split the points there. Uh, to Saturday football, Sturt 2-7-19 went down to Woodville West Torrens, 3-5-23. Central District, 8-9-57, a big win over West Adelaide, 5-5-35. And Norwood in a thriller, 3-11-29, defeated Glenelg, 4-3-27. Good news is for Sandford W fans, all four games are being played back-to-back-to-back to back to back at Adelaide Oval this evening. Easter Saturday, the 3rd of April. We kick off the day with Glenelg versus Sturt, followed by Central District versus North Adelaide, then Woodville West Torrens versus Norwood, and we'll cap off the day with West Adelaide versus South Adelaide. If you can't get along to Adelaide Oval, just go to sandfall.com.au and buy yourself a digital pass. Again, we hope to have interviews from the WA and SA women's competitions uh, in next week's episode or the week after that. QAFL Women's Footy Report. And over the weekend in the QAFLW, the Coolangatta Bluebirds had a slow start to the season, but they are now on the winner's board with an emphatic victory over the UQ Red Lions. The final score there, 7-10-52 to 2-5-17. And one of the stars out of that game was Katara Wapfara. Katara, thanks very much for joining us and congratulations on the first win of the year. 
No worries. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, just to explain to everyone, obviously when they sit down and they look at the first few rounds of Gatter's season, they go, oh, geez, they haven't got on the scoreboard. What's going on here? We need to explain to people, you've actually been missing quite a number of players over the first few rounds. Yeah, no, we have been. We've, um, we've got a number of girls that are a part of the Suns um, and the Brisbane Lions AFLW list, so we, we've lost them through the through the AFLW season, and we've also had a number of our younger girls as well a part of the um, the Suns Academy, so they've been away for, for a few rounds. And if I'm correct, you've virtually had to call up quite a number of reserves players just to make sure you've, you've obviously got the numbers to get out there on the park. Yeah, no, we did at one point. Um, we had to we had to put all our reserve grades up, um, and it was good for the girls to step up and have that experience in the in the senior level as well. But um, yeah, no, we we really did struggle for numbers. Can you tell what it's been like preparing for this first victory? Because obviously, to throw amongst the mix of not only were you missing a bunch of players, uh, one game had to be postponed. That was the local derby against Bond University due to torrential mm-hmm. rain and the grounds being closed. And if I'm correct, it was something like two or three weeks you couldn't even train on your own ground. You had to train indoors. Yeah, no, we um, the grounds being you know cancelled ground that we couldn't even um, train on it, so we did. Sometimes we didn't train, other trainings we had indoors and those were just based on structural work and that's what we just focused on over the difficult time and the obstacles that have come our way. And yeah. and likely it seemed to have bonded you as a group. As they always say, adversity seems to try and tie t- teams together and, and it finally came through for you on the weekend. Can you talk about particularly that first quarter, which is very crucial for your game, where you got off to that three-goal start? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was really good. The girls, um, everything that we we trained for in our in the week leading up to it, um, all the structure work and everything that Gracie's kind of implemented um, for the, for the structure stuff to work. It's um, just really molded together. And for the girls to, you know, we had um, the academy girls come back as well and help us um, run the ball. It was just really good to see everybody mold together um, with all the the different training sessions that we've had. And we've also, you know, didn't have numbers at training due to commitments outside of football as well so it was just good to see um, especially in that first quarter um, on the weekend that everyone just kind of came, came together and I think we started it off really well which um, gave us a great game and we kind of just eased in towards the end. Started off with that nine-point lead, stretched out to a 14-point lead at halftime, led by 18 at three-quarter time before the eventual victory uh, in the end by uh, 35 points. Uh, when did you sense amongst the group during the game that all of a sudden the belief is finally there? That he- here it is. We're going to taste our first victory of the year. Yeah, I think um, coming into the third quarter, um, you know, the girls kind of went and, you know, um, with UQ being um, a pretty good um, side and for us to come up against them after, you know, a, a week of um, not playing and with all the rain and, and not training as well. Um, I think our heads kind of in the first in the first half kind of was just all down. But as soon as we got into the third quarter, we had uh, Selena Priest talk to us um, at, before going onto the field and had a, had a good chat with Gracie. And I think that at the start of the three-quarter time um, was when when we uh, our heads kind of lifted and um, we kind of just eased in through and we, we knew that, uh, that um, yeah, this was going to be um, a good game. Can you talk us through the game of Latonia Cockatoo, Motlat, named best on ground? Yeah, um, yeah. so the, the, the girls from, from Cairns, you know, they're young, they've got a lot of talent, a lot of potential, um, and I'm, I'm excited to see where the next few years take them for the AFLW. Indeed, she had a fantastic game, best on ground, kicked a goal. Yourself, not a bad day out, three goals. Yeah, no, it was um, it was not bad for uh, missing a few rounds. Um, good to be back on the park and uh, get a few goals in. 
for the team and that it was just um yeah, it was good to have the girls around me after, you know, each goal that I that I got. Sophie, you were also named amongst the best. Yes, yeah. So she's uh one of the Academy girls. She's um she's new to the to the Bluebirds. Um she's come in this year, um and she's just brought in so much to the team and she she really did deserve to um be one of the one of the named one of the best um, for the game because she um, she had a ripper of a game. So let's talk about what's coming up with the weeks ahead because obviously you stop again. We've got the Easter break coming up, and then when you back up on Saturday the tenth of April, you're playing against your rivals in Cooparoo. Yeah, so um, it's just going to be a lot of you know structure work and focusing on the things that we've done well um, over the last week, and um, also improving the stuff that we needed to, like all our KPIs uh, as individuals and as teams. Um, you know, we're going in with um, not high hopes, but with our heads held high coming into this game and just not letting letting the thought of, you know, just Cooparoo um, kind of get to us. And finally, one last question before we let you go. Obviously, your coach is Nicole Graves, and uh, we're used to speaking to her each week on the Coach versus Coach podcast. Uh, what has she meant coming to your club uh, just over a year ago, taking over the head coaching role, and what are you learning most off of her? Um, yeah, no, Graves has brought um, a lot into the team and I think um, I speak on behalf of everyone that she has given us all as a team and as individuals little things to improve our football. Personally, from, my, from, from me, um, I've learned a lot. Um, my football has grown immense, um, immensely since um, Graves has kind of taken over as head coach and um, it's just she's brought in so much. She gives you things to work on on the field, off the field, and she kind of understands you on a personal level so that she understands you as a footballer as well. She's uh, a very unique coach, and I think anybody who's um, coached by her is um, is greatly blessed. Um, she, yeah, she's just um, got a different way of coaching, and um, yeah, it's just it's just been a benefit to the team and to all all us players. Well, Katara, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations again on the Bluebirds' first victory for the 2021 season. Enjoy the Easter break and all the very best as you take on Cooparoo on Saturday the 10th of April. Thank you, Peter. Have a good one. So the results from round five of the QAFLW, and as we mentioned at the top, the Bluebirds got their first victory of 2021, calling out a tweet 7-10-52, defeating the UQ Red Lions 2-5-17. For calling out a tweet, Farah, Cockatoo, Motlap, Brennan, Evans and Byers getting on the scoreboards. Farah, as we said, with three goals, sensational effort. Uh, the best players were Cockatoo, Motlap, Ewa, Farah, uh, Matenga and Priest. For the UQ Red Lions, uh, singles to uh, Chibler and Benjamin, best players, Cook, Childs, Jubler, O'Brien, McGorm and Pierce. To other results from Round 5 action, Bond University 10-8-68 defeated Apsley 4-1-25 for the Bull Sharks. Pagua kicking 3-2 to Tarleton. Singles to Hickey, Muir, O'Brien, Thorne and Dankert. Best players for the Bull Sharks, Pagua, Tarleton and Sexton. For the Hornets, goal kickers to Lessie, Campbell, Daniak and McKenzie. Best players, Daniak, Hales and Lingard. Cooparoo 7446 defeated Wilston Grange 3422. Uh, for Cooparoo, goal kickers, all singles were Abbey Fairs, McKenzie, Bowden, Spence, McLaughlin, Chesterfield, and Brown. Best players, Govan, Geddes, and Brown. For the Gorillas, goals to Wheeler, McNeil, and Spark. That's Ruby Spark. And uh, their best players were Day Spark and O'Donnell. And to the final game of round five, Maruchidor 4 7 31 defeated Yoronga South. Brisbane in a thriller, 4-3-27. For the Roos, it was all single goal kickers. Both Dave
Hayes, Matheson and Twiddle O'Donnell. Our best players were McFarlane, Harmer and O'Grady. For Yoronga South Brisbane, two to Keith uh, and uh, other goals to Keith and McDonald. Uh, best players, Zanka Close, Jay Keith and O'Loughlin. Looking ahead to round six action in the QAFLW. Remember, there's no footy this weekend for the Easter weekend, April 3rd, 4th. All games will be on Saturday, the 10th of April, 2pm at Examoval. It is the big rivalry. Coolangatta Tweed versus Cooperoo. The other three games are at 4.45pm at Graham Road. Apsley versus UQ Red Lions. At Hickey Park, Wilston Grange versus Maroochydore. And at Leishon Park, Yoronga South Brisbane versus Bond University. VFL Women's Footy Report. Well, we've hit the Easter break in the VFLW and the inaugural Port Melbourne side in the VFLW have yet to lose a game. They're sitting at five and zip. And they capped it off with a win against Essendon uh, last weekend. And it's great to have on the line from the Port Melbourne borough, Olivia Barton. Olivia, how are you? I'm good, Pia. How are you? Not too bad at all. Big winners on the weekend, 6-2-38 to 4-3-27. How's the feeling around the borough camp at the moment uh, after knocking off a top four side in Essendon and sitting at the Easter break undefeated? Yeah, for sure. It's an unreal uh, feeling. Uh, it was a great contest against um, Essendon on the weekend. We knew it would be a big challenge with them sitting um, in the top four with us, but... Um, yeah, stuck to the game plan and came out with the win, which we were obviously really happy with, um, especially leading into the Easter bite. Considering this is Port Melbourne's first year in the VFLW, the side had to be pretty hurriedly put together from about December onwards. I know everyone wants to win every single game, but yeah. is this even past the team's expectations to be essentially two or three games away from qualifying for your first finals? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was um, put together uh, quickly, our team was, but um, from the get-go, our standards were set high um, from Lockie Harris, our coach. So we went into round one, um, you know, we obviously wanted to get wins on the board straight away. So we held ourselves to high standards and um, obviously it's paid off. Before we come to the current day, Burrow, let's rewind the clock back a, a couple of years. Uh, for you, you're just a, a recent addition to Aussie yeah. Rules. I believe you actually switched from playing basketball uh, back in 2019 yeah. to joining the Blackburn Footy Club. Yeah, that's right. So I played um, basketball since I was um, 10 or, or 10 years old, since uh, Waverley Falcons, um, which was a really great experience, and I loved that growing up. Uh, but I decided to make the switch over in 2019 and just get started at uh, local footy for Blackburn in the under-18s. Um, so they have a really strong program down there um, at Blackburn, which I was able to jump into. And um, we were lucky enough to win the premiership as well. Um, and then, yeah, just went over to Chargers as an overage player uh, just for two games, though, before obviously COVID shut that season down. What's going through your head at that stage? As you said, you're on an upward trajectory. You've you played representative sport. You've gone across to Aussie rules. You've instantly won a flag in your first year. You're now playing uh, in the NAB League, which is just one step away from AFLW. And then, like for everything, it just completely shut down in March. The season was wiped. All football in Victoria was wiped for uh, 2020. Um, what, what's going through your mind at this stage? Yeah, well, it definitely, um, it all happened pretty quickly. Uh, we were still hopeful. Obviously, we only played two rounds uh, or three rounds, but 
at charges. We only played two rounds, round three for us with a bye. Um, yeah, it all happened really quickly, but we were hopeful for obviously a couple months there that the season will get back on, chat, uh, on track, which provided a bit of motivation to keep fit. Um, obviously, it was disappointing when the news came that we wouldn't be able to finish the season, but then I just kind of set my sights on um, hopefully the next step. And then, um, yeah, it all just fell really well into place, landing at, um, at the borough, a great club. What did you do to, I guess, keep yourself either motivated or, or at least stop from being bored uh, during those um, uh, those lockdown months? Because e- even if we took away you crossing over to footy, if you're still playing basketball, as, as athletes, yeah. you're naturally competitive people. You want to go out and compete against somebody in something. What do you try and do when, obviously, during that time as Victorians, we were limited to one and then eventually two hours outdoors a day? Yeah, to be honest, I um, just had to get really competitive with myself. Uh, just about, I wanted to work on my running. Um, obviously, moving over to footy, it's a completely dis- different uh, fitness base that I needed to work on. So, I kind of just got running um, in between uni cl- online uni classes and things like that. I got on the app Strava, which you share your your runs with, and um, I just kind of got competitive with the people, with my friends on their feed, trying to beat their time, trying to run further each week, so... Um, Little things like that um, really kind of kept the fire burning in my stomach um, and, yeah, kept me going until I was able to jump into pre-season in December with um, Port. How did the conversation end up coming around that you would join the Port Melbourne Borough? We know that the Oakley Chargers, uh, through girls and boys football, have um, had a loose arrangement with both Collingwood and Port Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, why would you end up choosing a, a, what was a, at that time a standalone club before they ticked off the alignment with Richmond? Yeah, so um, Pat, who was a coach for me at, at in the 2020 season, he was an assistant coach, Pat, um, he moved over to coach at Port um, and he invited me down just to, just a week or two before Christmas. So it all um, was, yeah, pretty quick. Obviously, the season was starting late third. Um, yeah, so he just invited me down for a training just to see how I liked it. And, yeah, from the get-go, the, the first session just was a great culture. Um, I found Lockie to be very relatable um, and a really good coach. Um, and they had already a few... Um, big names down there. So um, as I slowly started to learn about the history of the club as well, it all just felt right. Um, And I'm really happy where I am at the borough. Are you still blown away by the support that follows the Port Melbourne Football Club? We, we know that in the old VWFL, in the early years of the VFLW, um, the community clubs had their support, but they'd been around with women's sides in the competition for ages, So, and they'd always had seconds, thirds, fourths, and under-18s, etc. Yeah. This is Port Melbourne's, despite being a club that's, um, we're talking around about 140 years old, this is their first foray uh, into State League women's football. Are you surprised by the large number of supporters that come to follow you. I remember at least about 500 coming to support you in your first game at Arden Street just a, a month or so back. Yeah, definitely. Um, I Once I joined the borough, I started to hear about, obviously, the history, but as well their large and committed supporter base. Um, and we're really grateful that we do have um, supporters that come to each of our games, um, and we really appreciate their ongoing support. Um, and yeah, I was blown away that first game, just playing in front of, um, you know, all those people. It's a bit different to my under 18 local footy season, but, um, 
yeah, they're really committed supporters and we always thank them after the game. How have you found the adjustment from, as we said, you only had a, a couple of games uh, at the Chargers, but going from that under-18 system to the senior women's system, we know that, uh, you know, many of the girls, and this can obviously be the same with junior boys, as you come through the underage system, as a star player, you normally get thrown on the ball a lot, you get thrown in the midfield, a lot of action. But when you come to seniors as a new player, all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're now got to be a role player for yourself, being in defence, playing that role while you work around the more experienced players. How have you found that adjustment to being a role player? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is different and it is an adjustment, but I've found that um, with the strong leaders in our team, it's really been a um, seamless transition. I've got um, Belinda Owsley down back as our playing assistant coach, who's been great, as well as Lisa Davey, um, which is, they've both been strong mentors for me. So um, I'm able to just focus on my role and they can focus on the broader structures of things. Um, so, yeah, I'm just able to, at the moment, just focus on my own game um, and, yeah, uh, all the leaders and everyone's been really great allowing me to do that and you've had some great uh, younger players in your side as well we, we've seen Kate Adams she actually got on the scoreboard in the weekend yeah. um, we talk about Sophie Locke as well she's unlucky to be out with a finger injury but she had a brilliant start to the year yeah she's a star we've got a really good young group um, obviously yeah as you mentioned Sophie and Kate up forward um, they're both doing really well and really hard workers um, and it's good to have a couple of the younger Richmond girls as well. Um, you know, Santinetti, um, Cleo and M. Harley, who um, kicked two for us in the first quarter, which was nice in the Essendon game. Can you talk about the leadership style of Mal Kai? She's a journey woman. She's been around a number of yeah. clubs, from Scoresby to Knox to uh, Box Hill and then at the AFLW level when you throw in uh, the Pies and St Kilda. Yeah. What does it mean to have someone who's, um, in in a way, been there, done that, uh, leading the side? Yeah, Mel's um, incredible. I'm really enjoying um, her leadership. She's um, selfless and really has a genuine care for all of her players, which I've experienced firsthand. Um, and she's just such a cool head on game day. Like I know that um, she's got things under control um, and, yeah, she's um, obviously got a wealth of experience behind her and it really shows um, on trainings and game day. She sets the standard, um, the training standards high um, and obviously um, that's paying off for us. Also, a couple of tough nuts in the side as well. When we talk about best on ground from the weekend in Pip Peschke and, and Courtney Bromage, who are always in and under. Yeah, they just they throw themselves around. I have a lot of respect for those girls. Um, yeah, they're doing really well in the pit for us, um, and they are certainly tough. On the weekend, you had a bit of assistance, obviously, from some of the Richmond players that dropped back. Uh, Akek Makua Chot was uh, mm-hmm. marking a lot. Uh, Hannah McLaren, uh, we reckon she hasn't showered in three months. She must have stunk. No one wanted to go near her. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of intercepts that she got, she had a, a brilliant game. Uh, in fact, uh, going back in round one, uh, the, the Port Melbourne defence was nicknamed by uh, match analyst Sasha Doherty as the Red Wall. It seemed like nothing could get past you. And it seems yeah. to be almost a trademark of, of your game for the defence over the first five weeks of this season. The, the, nothing is getting through the Port Melbourne defence. Yeah, that's right. Um, we have uh, set up a solid defensive group. Our backline group's pretty tight-knit and we all play our role and know what we've got to do. Um, obviously, as I said, we've got strong leaders down back as well um, and having a couple of the Richmond girls 
um, that follow our system as well. Obviously, Hannah McLaren um, has been great for us and even Akek um, has also been good, uh, really good. Um, just their intent and want for the ball is definitely something that I look to replicate in my game. Um, just the, yeah, the um, relentlessness is just, yeah, second to none. What does it mean also, not only just to be five and zip, but you've only had the one home game. So four of your victories have come on the road and that means you're going to be back-ended with a lot of uh, games at home. Yeah, we're, uh, we definitely do have that in mind that um, for the nine games left, we're going to have a run of home, gra- uh, home games up our sleeve, which is obviously really handy, especially with our large supported base. Um, hopefully they get down for us um, and provide that extra kick. Um, but yeah, definitely excited to get back and play um, play at home. That one game that we did uh, get at Northport Oval was really special um, to to play there, and was a historic moment for the club. As we said, you've hit the Easter break at, at five and zip. Uh, mathematically speaking, you're a couple of way, uh, games away from uh, from locking in a finals berth. Uh, does this come to a point of the year where, uh, I guess, as, as the leadership group kind of sits down and says, well, let's reassess our goals for the year. We're going along a bit better than we expected. Let's now try and aim for this. Yeah, well, I'm sure um, that might be taken into consideration. Um, but I also think that we're just kind of staying in the moment and just taking it um, – Taking it week by week, but we certainly are striving to um, to have as much success as possible going forward and continue this momentum um, and leading into finals. And what's the philosophy heading into the Easter break? For some, they like to do the wind down and then they'll just start it up again come uh, the Monday or Tuesday. Or is it looking for a um, a hard hit out, a hard training session um, to make up for? Obviously, that there will be no games this weekend, and you won't be back till the tenth. Yeah, um, I think we're all allowing ourselves just to take a little bit of a mental break just because uh, pre-season has obviously been pretty full on over um, December, January and February and then practice matches and then playing the last five matches. So we're all allowing ourselves just to take a little mental break, but um, we will be getting back to training on Monday night and we'll um, be focusing on our Saturday match on the 10th against, against the Doggies. And uh, everyone's their own best critic. No doubt we're all keeping an eye on the young talent like yourself, Olivia, that when it comes to draft time in July, and who knows, they'll be picked up in the AFLW. But if you were to look honestly at your own game, um, what's probably some areas that you personally would like to work on before, obviously, uh, not only to try and chase finals and a flag for Port Melbourne, but obviously to put your name up in lights to hopefully be drafted come July? Yeah, so just that knowledge crossing over from um, basketball, I'm still I'm still learning a lot as a cross coder. So obviously working closely with um, my defensive, my backline leaders, um, as well as the whole group leaders. Um, so just continuing to be a student of the game and keep learning. But as well as that, I'm obviously working on um, skills, uh, just general skills of my game, as well as um, like to be a better contested marker like Hannah McLaren. Um, and obviously that match fitness is coming, um, is slowly coming as I get used to the game. Well, Olivia, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations again on the 5-0 start to the year for the Port Melbourne Borough. Enjoy your little Easter holiday break, and we look forward to seeing the Borough run around on Saturday the 10th of April when you take on the Western Bulldogs at ETU Stadium.
Thanks, Peter. Go Borough. Let's take a look back at round five of the VFLW and some good news for those of you at home that the VFL app has been updated. Go to your favourite app store and download the VFL app to your phone now. We will have the latest scores and stats now. And we can tell you from the weekend, Collingwood 8452 defeated Casey 3624 is one of our three match of the day coverage. Um, Christy Stratton, three goals for the Pies. Singles to Barnett, Bunker, Green, Ricardo and Xander. Milford kicking three goals for the Casey Demons. Leading possession getter on the ground was Jennifer Guy with 26 touches for the Magpies. Sammy Johnson, the Casey Demons captain with 21 touches to Trevor Barker Beach Oval where where the Southern Saints 9-13-67 defeated Darabin 1-1-7 for the Saints uh, two to Bohanna and two to Sawalo uh, singles to Capsalis uh, DeAngelis Hodder Moreau and Rapari and one goal for Cali de Parquet of the Darabin Falcons. For the stats, uh, Jenna Lawson Tavern for Darabin racked up 25 disposals. Uh, Bahana, 24 touches for the Saints. Tamara Luke also getting 24 touches as well. To the Western Bulldogs Geelong game played out at VU Witten Oval. The Cats uh, 5-10-40 defeated the Western Bulldogs just the six behinds. Obviously no goal scorers there for the Bulldogs. For the Cats, two to Williams, singles to French, Gunjaka and to Shepard. And when it comes to individual uh, possessions, 26 touches for Bailey Hunt, 20 also to Simone Rudin. Uh, leading possession getter on the ground for the Cats was Claudia Gunjaka with 19. Johnson and McMahon also had 18 touches each. To Carlton and Hawthorne at Icon Park for the Blues, 9-11-65, defeating the Hawks, 5-5-35. Uh, Jones kicked four goals, Gibbs two singles to Lawrence Trudgeon and Wilson. For the Hawks, two to Angela, singles to Kelly, Melanda and Williams. Jones racked up 23 touches for the Blues, 23 touches for Brown for the Hawks. To Sunday football, Port Melbourne, 6 38 defeating Essendon, 4-3-26. Seven. For the Borough, two goals each to Harley and Saxon Jones. Singles to Adams and Diet. For the Bombers, two to Fru. Singles to Barber and to Theodore. When it comes to touches, the Bombers captain, Georgia Nanscon with 24 touches. Barber with 22. For the Borough, 22 touches for Hannah McLaren. And we should mention nine marks in there as well. And uh, Melissa Kyes with 19 touches. In the final game of the round between the Kangaroos and the Seagulls at Arden Street Oval, it was North that was victorious for. 4630 to 4226. Goals for North Melbourne, Keely, Maroney, Skinner, and Wright. For the Seagulls, Georges, Hanrahan, Price, and Whelan. With disposal, Sasha Long had 23 touches for the uh, Seagulls, 22 touches, Keely, for the Kangaroos. Looking ahead to round six action, remember there is no football over the Easter long weekend, 3rd, 4th of April. All games will be on Saturday, the 10th of April for round six. And we have at 10 a.m. at Trevor Barker Beach Oval, the Saints versus the Seagulls. 10.30 a.m. Saturday at Box Hill City Oval, the Hawks v. the Bombers. At 12 p.m. at Victoria Park, it is the Pies versus the Blues. 2 p.m. at Arden Street Oval, it is North Melbourne versus Darabin. 2 p.m. at ETU Stadium, it is Port Melbourne versus the Western Bulldogs. And 3 p.m. at Casey Fields, it's the Casey Demons versus the Geelong Cats. Again, that is all games being played on Saturday, the 10th of April for Round 6. No games over the weekend of the 3rd and 4th of April due to the Easter long weekend. We'll update what broadcast games we are
are doing uh, this coming Wednesday by going to WARFradio.com. And that will wrap up the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. When we return next week, things will be a little bit different. We'll still have coach versus coach. We'll have one or two of our state league reports. Obviously, many taking an Easter break, so we won't be reporting on them, obviously, when there's no football going on. But we'll start to turn our attention towards women's footy being played overseas as they start to ramp up in the Northern Hemisphere. And as well, we hope to, over the coming weeks, catch up with some of the retiring AFLW footballers from this season and also last season to reflect back on their AFLW careers. Until then, don't forget you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just put a slash at the end and WARF Radio or visit our website at WARFradio.com where you will find, by clicking on podcast, a range of different podcasts that we do have and you can also meet the team as well to find out who are behind our VFLW broadcasts. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company and it's bye for now.